Where is everybody? What you said got them worked up. They went to get all the guns back from Sawyer. Sawyer? Sawyer has all the guns. Long story. At least he didn't get that one. Yeah. Too bad I can't use it. Use it on what? We caught one of them. The others. He's locked up in there. How long is he? Over a week. And you're what? Taking care of him? He tried to kill me today. So I wanted him dead. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even kill him. I looked at him, and he... I can't do this anymore. Then let me do it. Right out of my hands. They took my son and... I'll do it. Give me the gun. I'll kill him. Because that's what they do. What's the combination? Eighteen right, one left, thirty-one right. I'm sorry. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season two episode 22 for the road iconic ending may as well start with the ending i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by michael 
<sighs> Not to be confused with that other Michael. I understand, Josh, but why do we have to start with that? Ah, my heart. I'm much like Lucia's heart. I feel it's bleeding out. It's pooling in my chest right now as I recline in a chair similarly as she does on that poor hatch couch, which probably just seen so many bodily fluids on oh, it that God. it needs to be cleaning. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you've painted a very... Well, think about like what happened to Radzinski. Yeah. Like, there's just been so much blood that has been shed in this poor hatch that you know what? The deep clean that it needs is a full crumpling. That's going to happen a few episodes from yes, now. Yes, I think that that's probably right. Just uh, start from scratch. Uh, wipe the whole thing. Uh, take it down to scraps. No, I think, you know, we, we often start these podcasts with a little bit of a teaser, an audio teaser of what's coming in the episode. And for this one, I figure, what the hell? This is two for the road. This is the, this <laughs> yeah. is, this is the episode where if, if you remember two for the road, you you obviously remember two for the road if you're a lost fan, and the reason you remember it is because of the ending. Um, why not just start there? This is we're we're gonna do this the normal way. We're gonna talk through the entire episode. We're gonna go through the synopsis. We're gonna we're gonna pick it apart piece by piece. But let's just start at the end because that's what everyone wants to talk about. This is the one where Michael kills Anna Lucia and shoots Libby and then shoots himself. Um, it's crazy, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I have seen this episode, Mike. A lot. I've seen it a lot. I watched it very recently uh, for an appearance I did I, on on the storm. Uh, the I was gonna say I hope you watched it recently, considering we're talking about it. You today. know, I, I watched it uh, a few weeks ago for the storm podcast when I appeared on that. Uh, watched it again today in anticipation of recording this podcast, and every single time, without fail, that final scene is just out of this world, and mm-hmm. it 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 rightly gets all the credit um, for for being such a powerful ending. Um, but even just beyond that, the scope of this episode is just absolutely tremendous, Mike. Yeah, so that's the thing, is that was this going to this episode, I think the question that I had on my brain was, I loved this episode. This has always been one of my favorite all-time lost episodes. But the question is, was this going to be another The Whole Truth, right? Is this going to be an episode where the finale is an absolute home run, but everything around it is like, you know, single, double, maybe a, a shot, you know, whether the shortstop misses and you're able to round the bases slightly. I, As you can tell, I do not know baseball that well. <laughs> but I, I think, as we're going to get into this, I really think that this is the case where it is a, an excellent episode of Lost that just has one of the best endings the series has ever seen as a nice little finisher as well. So it's not like this is an episode that's built entirely on the back of an ending, like the aforementioned The Whole Truth. This is something where the whole truth of it is, it's a very strong episode all the way around, especially if you look at it specifically through the lens as Anna Lucia's Farewell, because this really lives and quite literally dies in the character of Anna Lucia Cortez, Josh. Yeah, for sure. Mike, do you remember your experience watching this the first time? Oh, yeah. Uh, this was one of those endings that absolutely shocked me to my core. Because I remember at that point, you know, with Lost, we had experienced some big cliffhangers, uh, you know, between Walkabout. Uh, you could talk about, you know, the, even the the opening of season two. You could talk about even the end of Lockdown. I just spoke about another great ending. But I think at this point, the Lost audience had gotten a bit complacent as to, like, what loss could do. I think the new shininess of loss on the general TV watching populace had been a bit lost 
for lack of a better term, to the point where, you know, Lost wins the Emmy in its first season and doesn't even get nominated for the Emmy for Best Drama Series its second season. Uh, and Hurley's going to make reference of that when Conan O'Brien visits during one of the uh, Emmy pre-tapes that he does. But I think that this is one of those moments that really shocks you back into place and reminds you just how groundbreaking of a show Lost could be. And I think from a genre perspective and an ensemble-building perspective, we have talked about that. But up to this point, you know, we had Boone die, we had Shannon die, but I think that they did not die in such a way that was as visceral and so purposeful, in a manner of speaking, right? Because Boone fell out of the plane and then and died. Shannon accidentally got shot by Anna Lucia. This was something that Michael, as a character that we have gotten to know for, you know, almost 45, 50 episodes at this point— did something purposeful, murdered... He murdered them. He murdered them. And that was just such a foundational, reality-shaking moment. I remember uh, one of the things... It was an ending that I watched over and over and over again. I became obsessed with the episode in general, between everything with Anna Lucy and Sawyer, everything with Anna Lucy and Christian. Like, even on top of the character stuff, Josh, there's still important mythos-based stuff here. We get, like, the first possible glimpse of a Claire Jack connection uh we find out a bit about the way the others are presenting themselves and what michael's going to go to this is an extremely important episode both to the series of lost and the mythos it's been building out and just in general like reminding the audience what the show is capable of so i remember to the point of myself watching the dear sister parody of this ending <laughs> where imogen heaps Ooh, uh, yeah, plays a la the oc every time michael shoots and lucia and then libby twice and then himself <laughs> yeah uh no it's iconic it's iconic and like in my mind's eye i can immediately visualize my my college buddy pete uh who is a who has appeared on the lost lives podcast that we did once upon a time um hopping off the couch s- shooting up straight as an arrow and and his hands, like uh, fully, like flattened hands, just both, like the tips, just like arriving at his mouth in shock and awe and horror as he just stood there frozen, uh, as Michael had done what he had did. Uh, yeah, we were we were blown away uh, in our in our living room when we were watching this the first time. Um, and it it you know that that immediate impact uh, does not always hit quite the same. Uh, that's a you know that's a first watch feeling that you get, um, but you are kind of just like awestruck every time you encounter this episode. I think um, the ending really is masterful, but I think one of the things that we'll talk about as we go through this is as we're like kind of like you know pushing at the Jenga tower that is an episode of Lost. Um, are there loose pieces? Is there a safe thing to remove to make this a better episode? Or like, is there something that you could safely take away from this? And I don't know that there is. Like, I think that this yeah. is a really tightly constructed episode of the show. Um, and, and truly one of the, the very best up to this point, as I think will be reflected in our rankings to, to, to tip the hand of where we're going there. Um, we've got a lot of business to take care of. Uh, so, so before we dive into the episode, let's just get this done up front. I want to take a second to thank our friends sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or ad renters insurance save an average of 12% 
on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. Get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Mike, let us go forth into the jungle. All right, are we, who's driving at this point? Who's going to be our taxi driver and who's going to be the Christian shepherd awkwardly barging into people's home while, while rain pours down? I mean, it looks like it's about to rain here uh, outside uh, in, in, my, in, my, uh, in my neighborhood here in New York. So uh, let's see. It's the, it's the skies weeping for poor Anna Lucia, who is the centric character in this episode. And while not quite the swan song, we will see her again uh, in Lost, and we'll see. She dies in the Swan. We'll see her as soon as next week. Yeah, she does die in the Swan in this episode, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim, and directed by Paul Edwards, airing May third, two thousand six, three weeks after SOS. So after a three week yatus, this is what we're coming back with. Yeah, we people might not remember that, especially those that are binging. That you know, Lost, especially in its first two seasons, like to showcase much like a lot of you know shows at the time, sort of do things in, in fits and starts. And clearly, this was sort of rounding the bend on May sweeps, and so they took three weeks off after SOS. So we got this cliffhanger of Michael's back. What could have possibly been happening? And then you know, nearly a month passes in real time, and then we finally come back to this. And I believe. All these, this and the next three episodes are just going to be back to back to back as they sort of railroad like a train through what is going to come to the end of season two. And I guess the answer to, you know, what Michael did was like, well, he'll, he'll sort of tell you what he did, but really we're going to find out two weeks from now. Yeah, uh, it's a journey that we're on. Uh, Michael's been gone for a while, and obviously the time that he's been gone, many things have changed. Uh, we begin the episode picking up right where we left off with SOS, that Michael is back. He's alone. Jack is like looking through the jungle to see if the others are there. There's no one. Uh, and uh, they need to they need to bring him back to the hatch, which is uh, obviously a very very good idea. Nothing bad is going to happen from bringing Michael to the hatch. I, I want to talk about the fireman carry that everybody like. I th- do you think Jack like adopted Echo's method here, or do you think it's just in general the most efficient method to carry somebody back is just sling them over your shoulder? I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Jack would know that, being um, his field is uh, is is rescuing people from medical crises. Um, but I wouldn't know to do that. I think I would. I would struggle mightily to drag anybody out from the jungle like ten feet, let alone you know, you know, ten hundred feet, however many feet it is between yeah, that current I'm, spot and the and the hatch. And another universe, maybe with a different character, like they would run back, grab a stretcher or something, or grab Echo and have the two of them carry it back. We're going to talk a lot about the deleted scenes or original shooting script from Two for the Road because a lot was left off the table, and one of the th- was apparently. Uh, even though we see Jack sort of soldiering forward with Michael slung over his back, apparently Kate like tries to carry him on her own, and then Jack sort of snidely tells her, like, why do you have to do everything alone? So it's clear that even though they had that caught-in-a-net moment, they're not exactly peachy keen here in uh, Jateville. Jate is not completely fate at this point. Yeah, peachy keen is, uh, that's a Ray Mullen. 
That's a Ramon specialty. Yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the name of his brand. <laughs> Back at the hatch, uh, speaking of peaches, uh, Anna Lucia's cutting up some fruit mangoes. Meanwhile, John Locke passed out. John Locke snores in his sleep. Do you think that uh, you think Jack gave him some like pain medication, so he's just hopped up on Vicodin, <laughs> and that's what making him sleep so soundly? I think it's likely. I think it's likely. Uh, we get a flashback, first flashback of the episode, as we are in our our farewell tour for Anna Lucia Cortez. And this flashback is following up on the heels of stupid Jason McCormick, uh, who's dead, just dead on now his lap. Now he's dead and stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah, he even looks stupid in it when he's the coroner's looking at him. I hate you, him. Jason McCormick. I hate you so much. Uh, I have no sympathy for Jason McCormick, who is who is dead in this moment. Uh, and uh, Anna is there. Her mom has brought her uh, to Jason McCormick's dead body. So, so yeah, so this guy was executed, and clearly you are the executioner. And Anna Lucy, like, very barely denies it. Yeah, for a cop, you'd think that, like, she would do well with being on the other side of the interrogation table. Maybe it's because it's her mother. Maybe it's just that uh, she does not excel well in that portion of her job. But, like, she is showing every tell right now, right? Like, she'd be a terrible poker player in comparison to Jack or even Sawyer. She's, like, not making eye contact. She's rubbing the back of her neck in anxiety. It's very clear, much like in Collision, she's coming across to her mother as, like, I know something, but I am forbidding myself from doing this. And, you know, this will be the last time we see Mama Teresa Cortez canonically. But you can sort of see the pain in her eyes as it's like she's basically begging Anna Lucia, like, even not as your mother, even just as your boss. Like, just please do something so that I can help you here. But Anna Lucia is going to refuse, which is going to send her on this wayward trip down under. Yeah. Uh, Anna's mother, who we will see at the very end of the episode, and then I think that's it. Uh, she does say, like, Anna, if you did this, you gotta let me help you. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, this is very topical. Uh, this is, this is very provocative that Anna's mom is like, I'll hide this evidence for you. Don't worry. Like, we will, we'll make this Mm. disappear. We'll make this disappear. But Anna doesn't want the help. She just wants to turn in the badge. Uh, her mom says, if you don't respect me, at least respect that you are a cop. Anna does not respect being a cop anymore. She turns in her badge. Uh, I quit. Yeah, and, and, and Michelle Rodriguez, you know, I think the character is more so known for a, being a bit louder and aggressive. So when Michelle Rodriguez, you know, the, the I quit that she says is so in, interestingly soft and understated. Like you can very you can easily tell that that means that she was very conflicted. By that, as much as she might have surety in this decision of like, nope, the decision that I made means that I need to turn away the career path that I've been down. You can tell that this is something that she clearly does not want to do. And it's a side of Andalusia we really don't see until the final scene, which you ended up playing in the intro there. I also say Michelle Rodriguez, uh, if there's one little tick that I've noticed she's done over the course of watching her on Lost, she is the master of the side head, head tilt. She loves the you side know, like, head tilt. I love yeah, it. Yeah, like the aroo, like tilting the head 45 degrees to look at someone, whether it's eyeballing them, whether it's a little bit of a like, a, I don't believe you right now. That is her go-to. All right, side head and all in the present. Anna is going to, to walk into the armory, into the prison cell, and have a chat with uh, the, the man she currently knows as Henry Gale, and it's going to go sideways. Let's listen in. Hey, Henry. What do you say? How long are you going to keep up this hunger strike, Henry? I ever tell you I was a cop? 
I've been around a lot of killers in my life. You know what surprises me the most about them? How much they love to talk. But you're different, Henry. Hmm? Quiet. What was that? Say something. You're gonna have to speak up. You killed two of us. Good people who were leaving you alone. You're the killer, Anna Lucia. I guess he decided to start talking, huh? <laughs> Not only did he start talking, Locke, he started choking. Yeah, started choking, started talking and choking. And uh, I think, you know, we have to add this to the to the beatdown counter, right? We have to, we have to, the Ben Linus beatdown counter. Uh, John Locke is going to knock him out with uh, a swift blow from the crutch. Yeah, but this is definitively number four. I mean, I think we are chronological still. I mean, I think we could just take care of this right now. Um, In first place, it's still Danielle harpooning Ben. Then it's Saeed Mm -hmm. beating Ben up, which happens next. Then it's Schrodinger's shelf, where we still don't know if it's the shelf that beat up Ben or Ben beat himself up. And yeah, I think Locke beating up Ben with a crutch uh, goes uh, easily in fourth place. So it's it's a chronological listing as it stands. And to be fair, Ben could, you know, have not weakened his body by refusing to eat, and maybe he wouldn't have been knocked out by a crutch. So this might <laughs> yeah, be Ben's doing in a, in a number of ways. You know, Anna Lucia makes an admission to him in the moment that she's a cop. She obviously does not know that he already knows that information, and we get some interesting, you know, Ben Linus is a, known as a man of words, as a man who can influence, in a manner of speaking, no matter who he is playing. We have seen that up to this point. It's very rare that we get to see Ben take a position of aggression, right? Like the, one of the only other times I can think of is when he kills Kimi and kills Jacob in two consecutive uh, season finales. So it's very rare that we see him sort of on the aggressive end. But I do wonder if this is just like a moment from Ben of like, I need to get out of here somehow. I don't know how much he knows about the plan for Michael to come and get him. So he's like... Let me just, you know, kill her, and then I'll make my way into the jungle right now. Yeah, I I wonder about that as well. I think one of the things that's fascinating to me about the exchanges between Ben and Anna in this episode, and obviously uh, the the vast majority of this episode is going to be dealing with Anna's simmering revenge plot against Ben Linus, um, and her, you know, her final stay in hell, as it were, uh, here in in the hatch. Um, I think, you know, Anna's not somebody that Ben needs anything from, right? Like, this is not a character Mm -hmm. that he needs. This is not a person that he needs. So I think to, like, watch how he interacts with somebody who is truly useless to him, um, I think says a lot about 
been. And I think for him saying things like, uh, you killed two of us, good people, you killed Goodwin, all of this stuff, when Ben sent Goodwin to his death, essentially, and he is like putting the blame on Anna in this private moment where no one is watching them, where it's just the two of us, uh, and he he is foisting all of that energy onto her. I think tells us as uh, tells us so much about Ben Linus as as a person, just somebody who is uh, you know who refuses to look himself in the eye. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I mean the whole "you're the killer," Anna Lucia. Like you said, it's not necessarily needed for anything if his intention is to kill her. It's again yet another mind game here. I can imagine that he has at least some knowledge of her prior, right? Of this idea that she perhaps killed a guy in the past and so he's definitely digging in that knife by saying like hey yes you are a killer justified or not definitely prodding her in that regard and that's also going to be something that she has been wrestling with and will be haunted with ever since you know this ended up happening where she's going to be obviously have a physical representation of the effect ben has had on her in this exchange for the rest of the episode but it's clear there's a mental part as well Uh, That's going to definitely, I think, toy with her a bit, and that will reflect in the flashbacks as well as she sort of comes to her own reconciliation as to what she did and whether or not running away was the right thing to do with her problem. Uh, All right, flashback time. Uh, After Locke has knocked Ben unconscious, we get our second flashback of the episode, Uh, and it's Anna's new job. She is working airport security. Uh, Mm -hmm. And she uh, ends her day by going to the airport bar. Bartender's name is Mike. Lots of lots of mics in uh, there's wasn't there big Mike? There was big Mike. Yeah, and we I thought we heard we heard someone off screen in uh See you in later on Lucia. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, is that Big Mike? Or do you think Big Mike requested like a transfer of partner after the whole Shauna and Travis debacle? It sounds, from like, collision? it sounds like Big Mike. It sounds like Big Mike. Uh so there's there's Big Mike, there's bartender Mike, and then there's uh shooter Mike. Uh, the the person who who kills her, uh, our Mike, uh, and then there's Mike Bloom. So lots of mics on the mic, and we're speaking into mics. Uh, so just a, a ton of mic. This acting. is a mic oriented podcast yes. from Mike oriented. There's episode. a lot of mics happening here. There's also a Christian. Christian Shepherd is here at the airport, and uh, as is his want, he is at an airport bar, uh, and he recognizes Anna Lucia, and Anna Lucia does not understand why Christian recognizes her, and he then explains. You uh, wanted me at security. Stop right there! Well, that's the thing is that, you know, right now! Anna, Anna Lucia had uh, built a bit of uh, a bit of consternation with the people who, who worked at TSA because she was known for passing the time by singing song parodies yeah. as she <laughs> scanned people for metallic objects. They're like, she will not shut the hell up. Before you go any further, this is Anna, and you're on security lines. Empty your pockets. Make sure you <gasps> have you think no that, food uh, in your backpack or water. Throw it out in the trash. Do you think that um, when they were down under that Anna was like, must not turn on the radio, Christian. I've got some songs yeah, for you. I'll ya. provide the music. And he's like, all right, I'm going to need four days of steady drinking before we go anywhere, <laughs> yeah. if that's the case. Uh, exactly. Like, this is, I picked the wrong person. Sarah, I don't care what your name yeah. is. I've done with when you. I, when I watched this episode for the Storm podcast, that leapt right out to me. Was He goes, uh, you wanted me at security. Uh, obviously it means you're wanding me with your, with your security wand. Uh, but for me, my ears percolated and, and caught, you wanded me, uh, something we do on the regular over at RHAP. Uh, 
Do, do you think, uh, is Anna going to give away a jacket? Maybe if she had lasted long enough, she would have given away jackets for whoever would have challenged her for songwriting <laughs> yeah, supremacy. Maybe. Uh, I'd like to see the Anna Lucia hat uh, coming out of yeah, Wombat yeah, I was going to say, it, was, it would definitely say coming out all one word. Uh-huh, yeah, that's good. Maybe we could make uh, coming out hats for the for the Lindelof yeah, round too. Or like uh, Anna's Anteaters. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so they're going to talk. Uh, they they both have is a bunch of coincidences. Anna has recently ceased being a police officer. Christian has recently ceased being a doctor. He gives like and will soon cease being yeah, alive. He like the then so will she. Uh, they give the the quick version of what happened. Uh, his son ratted him out for drinking on the job. He's lost his license. Uh, Anna thinks that parents and kids shouldn't work together. Too many issues. Oh, this is and this is such I really love this conversation in particular, because I mean, let's compare this to the other conversation that Anna Lucia is going to have with the son of Christian Shepherd, another shepherd. Uh, a, it's interesting that they sort of revolve around the bar. I think that speaks to the issues that Christian has faced and Jack will definitively face once he leaves the island. But Anna does not realize the irony in her saying parents and their kids. I don't think parents and their kids should work together, considering like, you know, what just happened with Jack and Christian. But also there's a double entendre in there, right? That parents and their kids should not work together professionally, but they also shouldn't work together cooperatively speaking. And that's the case with both Anna and Jack are that both of them end up coming to loggerheads with their parents. And with Jack and Christian, it's much more so, I think, a, a difference in temperament or a difference in discipline. With Anna and her mother, it almost seems like her philosophy is to keep even her biggest loved ones at arm's length, to sort of take everything on the chin and not open up to those that have seen her at her most vulnerable. So I love that line in in many different ways. Uh, And, of course, you know, Christian is uh, becoming the man of faith from this perspective, talking about fate and how he's on his way to Sydney, Australia. Um, For whatever reason, Anna is going to accept this offer from Christian Shepard. Hey, come to Sydney with me. I'm going to need a bodyguard. What I'm doing It's a little dangerous. I'm going to get really, really drunk and yell at a woman in the rain, and I'm going to need a bodyguard for this job. Uh, he needs a protector. And she basically just, like, signs on the line right then and there. You know, a little bit of skepticism of, like, uh, I don't even know your name. But it's not even like, well, show me the money. What are you going to pay me? What are you going to pay me to quit my job as a security guard here to go and be your personal security detail for five minutes? Yeah, I mean, we have to assume that she quit the job, right? She's not just like, hey, I'm going to take yeah, two weeks off for a vacation. They're like, no, yeah. no, go, please, just go away. Take your stupid-ass song she somewhere just, else. She just Lucia. started, you know, she probably, like, not long ago. So uh, this this confuses me. I think we yada yada passed, uh, I don't know that we needed a full flashback scene of contract negotiations, but I think, like, to get her to accept the job in the space of this scene uh, feels a little soon. Little soon. Yeah, it does feel. I mean, I think I think it's this idea that much like we'll see with many characters, and you have reasoned a lot as to why, uh, even so recently as when we guessed it on Crazy Hank TV to talk about through the Looking Glass as to why an episode like Stranger in a Strange Land needs to exist canonically for us to see Jack at the very bottom uh, during through the Looking Glass flash forward. It's this idea of like what happens when we see a character at their worst, and as we've talked about with episodes like Fire Plus Water, oftentimes that is unpalatable but i wonder if that is sort of a reflection of that character facet this idea that because she feels like she has nothing to lose at this point considering that she has lost everything else she's like sure why the hell not if this leads to my death so be it uh 
I mean, and should should we talk about the uh, the pseudonym choice as well? Because I know that once people heard Sarah, Sarah. that uh, has perked up a lot of ears, especially as we get into the season three flashbacks yeah. of it all. Officer Sarah Lucia uh, is the is the name that is going to be picked for Anna per Christian. Uh, Christian is going to say, "You look like a Sarah. You should be a Sarah." Uh, Sarah being the name of Jack's ex-wife soon to be ex-wife at the very least here uh and i know that there's still a lot of questions about who did sarah leave jack for uh jack is going to believe that maybe she left me for my dad Mm. does this move the needle for you one way or the other mike do you have a strong feeling about this I'm still in the belief that it was not Christian yeah. Shepard because that feels like a little it's a too lot. soapy. It's a for lot. Me. It's a lot, and I feel like, like them hugging it out in the afterlife church. Uh, like I feel like even all of that time, I don't know that you necessarily forgive that one. Yeah, I more so see it as Christian sees like a young broken woman in Ana Lucia, and he happens to have like a young broken woman in his immediate family and Sarah as well. So it's it's almost like. Uh, you know, it's not that akin to when Knock gets locked out and he accidentally calls Hank, uh, Kate Helen in Walkabout. But it could be a similar thing of, like, you remind me of this person, not someone who I'm romantically involved with. But the 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 way you behave right now, you sort of remind me of somebody that I know. So I'm going to call you Sarah. Uh, jury's out as to where Tom comes from. Much like Mike, Tom is just a name that it's appears everywhere. Lost so there's, lost. there's Thomas, uh, Claire's baby daddy, Aaron's baby daddy. Uh, there's, uh, there's Tom, the guy that Kate got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Tom Friendly. There's Tom Friendly. I feel like there may be another Tom. I'm sure. Uh, there's that, a, that's from, that's from Anna's life? That, no, I feel like that there's gotta be, an, I, I feel like we're missing a Tom. Is there a Tommy in here somewhere? Mm, that's a good Tommy question. Tommy and his mommy. <laughs> no. There's a Sam uh, Toomey. Uh, let's see. So I'm looking at Tom Disambiguation on Lostpedia. Uh, so we have Tom Sawyer, which of is one of uh, Anthony Cooper's aliases. Uh, Tom Connolly. Have we met Tom Connolly yet? I'm not sure. No, that's the person who plays uh, young Chucky Wids. There's a lot of Toms. A lot of Toms. A lot of Toms. So I don't know if, if this is just like another Tom in joke uh, for Lost, but uh, Tommy Boy it is for, for Christian Shepard. So they're going to go to Australia. Together, and I and I, I've uh, it's because it's been a while since we've like had to discover why these people go to Sydney. I always forget the lovely expository thing they have to do of always clarifying that it's the Sydney in Australia. Yeah, you know the Sydney in Australia. Because uh, we'll get it here. We'll get when Anna calls her mom later. Like, yeah, I'm in Sydney. Yeah, Australia. It's important to express that a couple of times if we can. Um, all right, so they're going to go to Australia together. Meanwhile, back on the island, Anna is washing uh, her forehead. She has like a, a gash uh, from the fight with Ben. Uh, she has a funny line to Libby when Libby shows up. She says, I cut myself shaving. Uh, I, I always enjoyed that. Um, she says, the guy in the hatch tried to kill me, and I'm fine, but he's not going to be. Libby says, Anna, don't do anything stupid. Don't do <laughs> well- anything that is going to get you and me killed in 40 minutes from now. I mean, I guess the thing is, too, from an on-screen perspective, that's going to be the last thing she ever says yeah. to Anna Lucia. Yeah. That's super that's dark. super, super dark. Um, all right, let's go back to the hatch and uh, a, a very good conversation that is going to go down. Uh, this feels classic, this conversation between Ben and Locke when Locke goes to the armory and has some questions for the prisoner. If you've come to apologize, I forgive you for hitting me with your crutch. 
I'm so glad my head didn't break it. Why? Now that's a broad question. Why'd you try to hurt Anna Lucia but not me? I'm not sure I know what you're getting at, John. I was trapped under that blast door. Helpless. You could have crushed my skull, but you didn't do a thing. Why didn't you? Because you're one of the good ones, John. What? What good what? None of this matters. I'm dead anyway. The doctor's gone to make a trade. And we both know he'll come back empty-handed. And then I've lost my value. So either Jack comes back here and kills me or my people find out where I'm being held and they do it. Why would your own people want to kill you? Because the man in charge... He's a great man, John. A brilliant man. But he is not a forgiving man. They'll kill me because I failed, John. I failed my mission. What mission? When that woman caught me in her trap, I was on my way here, John. I was coming for you. First of many times, uh, not even the first, but the, the last of many times for a while, I guess, uh, that Ben is just going to like thoroughly lodge himself Ugh. under John Locke's skin and just go straight into his brain. I mean, it's like the fifth time in the past five episodes that it's happened. So it's, it's, it's really fun in that, you know, you would think that this is a chess match between the two, but it really is like... You know, uh, Ben put the bumpers on John Locke's bowling lane uh, for a hot second. <laughs> the with only the way I like he, to bowl, by the way. And then he promptly took them away, and he's like, "No, by the way, you could knock me over with a crutch, but I'm still gonna live rent free in your head at the end of the day by telling you that hey, I was coming for you." To the point where, like, Locke is going to have this lingering stare love- <laughs> at Ben, just, despite the fact that Jack and Kate are screaming yeah. for him. Like, he is so fixated on what Ben him. just said that I he's entirely distracted. Oh, it's so good. And I love, I mean, Ben knows that, like, Locke is driven by a sense of purpose. That's why he's been down there the entire time. Mm-hmm. So, like, Ben using the specific verbiage of failed his mission. Well, he, know, he knows that, like, you know, so Locke was, was paralyzed and now he's not. So he knows that there's some stuff that's up with Locke. And I think that he's been able to glean probably from the Ethan records that Locke is like a very faith driven man. He's been able to observe everything that he's been able to observe. Uh, so he's really playing into that. I love how Ben describes the leader of the others himself yes. so right now, where he's like so, so well so well that's the thing is the question is because i think some people theorize he might be talking about jacob which there is certainly some idolatry going on there but i personally agree with you i'd like to believe that it's him describing himself as the, the guy the guy ones. in charge he's a brilliant man john a very intelligent man a very handsome man so strong exactly oh, so everyone, such a cool a very cool man 
Everyone came to his Everyone birthday party. Everyone likes him, man. Uh, but he's not a forgiving man. Yeah, I just love how he's like puffing himself up. Uh, yeah, could he be talking about Jacob? Sure. Uh, but I, I, I like to imagine, you know, all of the all of the best lies baked in some level of truth. And I feel like for him to be describing himself in these terms of like he's a brilliant man, a, a powerful man, but he's not a forgiving man. I mean, that really is Ben Linus. I think it's like, yeah, you shouldn't be the guy who says that. But it is basically Ben. And I think, you know, two weeks ago, there's a, we talked a lot about sort of the theory grazing that goes with, oh, this was all in Hurley's head. Ben saying here, none of this matters, I'm dead anyway, is just st- stoking the purgatory fires that will not end up being flames whatsoever at the end. Um, Anna Lucia in the jungle is going to be following Sawyer along on his mango hunt. Uh, so what happened here? Is he like upping for another poker game? What happened to yeah, the Oreo he, Sawyer? Maybe maybe he shouldn't <laughs> have thrown them away so carelessly. Yeah, and he lost all of his fruit to Jack, so he needs to go replenish the stores. Man, for being the like the the BMOC a few weeks ago in the long con, Sawyer has had a huge fall from grace in the past two months of loss. Yeah, here. this episode's bad for Sawyer for sure. Other than the one thing, which is also bad for Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer is going to be really annoyed with Anna Lucia, who's like, "Stop, stop going after my fruit." Spent a lot of time picking this fruit. Yeah, get your hands off my damn mango, as I believe uh, he says. Uh, well, he also says to her, "Scram! You heard me get." Uh, so he's yeah, gonna say, I believe they actually subtitle it G-I-T. Yeah. He literally is like talking to her like, uh, is this is this what happens to old Yeller or one of the dogs? Is like No, I think you're thinking of like uh, Harry and I the think Hendersons that's right. when yeah. they have to when they have to put John Lithgow on and they're like they throw rocks at him to they make throw him rocks like, no at John Lithgow? They so the kid has to like throw rocks at Harry to like push him back into the yeah. forest. It's Nymeria all over again. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe that's where the others learned yeah, it. Yeah, but it's like he says, like you kick a dog r- long enough, and suddenly they think that they did something to deserve it. Back in uh, Exodus, and it's like he he has a lot of like this is like abusive uh, pet owning behavior. Uh, yeah, but this is this is a dynamic that we have not touched upon in quite some time. That really we are if we're talking about flame stoking. We have promptly uh, roared this flame back to life since the days of the Tailies being separated before Sawyer fell ill of like the tete a tete between these two and Anna Lucia is still calling out Sawyer like being Sawyer's being so snide about Jack and Kate going out into the jungle together that's living rent free in his head and Anna is like just needling him about it knowing that it's really Mm -hmm. getting to him yeah Uh, and she wants uh she needs a gun and he doesn't want anything to do with her because she's being annoying to him so uh, we'll see what her backup plan is for that in just a little while meanwhile and it involves her back being up yes, somewhere meanwhile flashback it's 351 in the morning in Sydney Australia uh, and before we get into this so the loss on location uh, goes into copious detail about how they shot this particular scene and in, in Australia in general Josh because this is probably the most amount of time besides raised by another that we've really spent like like copiously in Australia. And so in order to make this shot, which of course to remember that they're in Australia, much like hearts and minds. In fact, maybe they're in the same hotel as Boone and Shannon were bumping uglies once upon a time. There's the Sydney Harbor in the foreground, the Sydney opera house to remind you. But apparently what they did to show Anna's reflection in the mirror, they like built a soundstage on top of a hotel roof in Hawaii and they like took out the window and they framed up another camera filming her the opposite way and they framed everything in immersed it in blue light so that in post they could key it out 
replace it with the Sydney Knight backdrop, and then like put in a, a fading wow. image of that opposite camera angle to make it look like a mirror. Magic. It really yeah. is. And also, later on, we're about to get into, you know, the driving of it all. So, obviously, in countries that are not necessarily North America, uh, they do not have steering wheels on the left side of the car, but they cannot get cars that were made that way in Hawaii. So, they reversed every shot oh, wow. of driving in this episode to the point where you could actually see uh, the mole on Michelle Rodriguez's face actually switches places. But. Because I think that that these... is like a low-key nod at the fact that Michael is now a mole for the others. Mm, yeah. and, but also, on top of that, because there is signage that exists for the bar and for other things, the art department had to build the signs backwards so that when they mirrored it in post, it would read the right That's way. That's funny. Oh, yeah. So it just shows like the lost production team is just is just absolutely incredible, and I love how to mimic Down Under they had to flip flop. Yeah, everything. well, they had a lot of time on their hands uh, considering that four days spent in Sydney so far just doing absolutely nothing uh, for for Anne and Christian. So I assume that's when the lost production was getting busy prepping everything for their uh, for their jaunt in the rain as Christian Stone Cold Drunk uh, with with nine minutes to go until four a.m. is going to come to Anne and say, "All right, time to go. This is the this is the moment." This is what we're going to do. Fate's calling, Sarah. Fate's calling, Sarah. Uh, and so with Patsy Klein uh, providing the sound check, uh, I assume at this point, Christian has just had to turn on the radio because Anna's wand-offs are insufferable. Uh, they they get to... Uh, <laughs> what you don't know is that's actually Anna singing. <laughs> it could be. Could be. <laughs> it's just, it's incepted that she's like, great, I'll put on my mixtape, and it's her singing uh, yeah. Walking After I Midnight. I don't go walking! Wait- Wanding. I don't go wanding. Um, All right, so they're going to go to this house, and Anna's going to watch from a distance as this explosive fight ensues between Christian and this woman who he is saying really crazy stuff to. She's my daughter. She's my daughter. I have to see her. I have every right to see her. And we've had, like, hints of this, and the hunting party is starting to, like, deliver some hints at the possibility of uh, Christian being a bit of a philanderer. Um, But this is the most overt one yet that, uh, I mean, this is not just an overt hint. This is Christian saying, I need to see my daughter. He's here in Australia. Australia. Unless he, like, I don't know, adopted a pen pal or someone, like a big brother, little sister program. He has a daughter here. And this was one of the bigger mysteries, or I guess one of the like B list uh, talking points from this episode. Obviously, the A list talking point was how the episode ended, but people were noticing, like, wait a minute, Australia, blonde woman, daughter, OMG, could it's Jack probably and Claire actually be related? And that was one of those like deep seated theories that's not going to come about until next season in Par Avion when uh, when when Christian ends up visiting the comatose. Uh, Carol Littleton. I should also mention, because I think this has become a bit of a Mandela effect, the woman that Christian is talking to is not Carol Littleton. This is Carol's sister, Lindsay, uh, who we're going to (laughs) see a bit more in Par Avion as well. So yeah, there's no like plot hole of, wait a minute, shouldn't Carol be comatose? But I remember it did spread a theory at the time that people did think that Lindsay was actually Claire's mother before we find out in the aforementioned season three episode as to the, the fate of Claire's mother and Christian's uh, one night stand. As Great scene, though. Great scene. Very provocative at the and, time, and and scary yeah. as well. Because I feel like it's been a while since we've seen Christian Shepherd. Maybe the first time ever we've seen him be that aggressive. You know, we've seen him be like snide and a little intoxicated to people like Jack. And obviously, as we talk about in all the last daddies, like 
his shirkery, not to be confused with the wanding of it all, led to the death of someone on the operating table. But, like, he's pushing the door off his hinges. He's screaming in the rain. Like, it is intense. I guess when intense things happen. I guess when intense things happen in Australia, there's a downpour, right? Between Sawyer shooting Frank Duckett, which is going to occur shortly after the events of this flashback here, and, and you know, Christian doing this. Like, it calls for the weather gods. Yeah, uh, the weather gods, the bloody rock gods, lots of gods that are involved in Lost. Over at the beach, back on the island, um, Hurley is going to come to Saeed asking for some advice about a date that he wants to go on with Libby. He wants him to help fix the radio because he wants to, like, even static would be fine. Yeah. I like how they sort of explain away that point from the long con, right? Of like, ah, and the radio broke off screen after we used it that one time to listen to Duke Yeah, Ellington. it'd be nice if we could have the radio back. He's like, yeah, it's not really going to happen. He's like, oh, it's a bummer. It'd been fun to hold it over my head. Like, say anything, the movie. And Saeed's like, yeah, haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. No, I know, I know Saeed anything. Yeah, Saeed anything. Uh, so he's going to tell him about the Shannon Beach, the date they went on. Uh, and Hurley says, that sounds really good, except for the whole part where you very awkwardly told me that I took Shannon there. It's like, oh, I don't really know how to respond to that. Pretty soon, you will be able to empathize more deeply uh, with this. Do you think, uh, you think the sex tent was still left there <laughs> from the events of... Just uh, look for my sex what? tent. You won't be able to miss yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. A good whiff will take you there if you get lost. Oh, no. I suppose, like, what did happen to the sex tent? Because the sex... I I think it still stayed there. The sex tent was erected, so to speak. uh, And then uh, Shannon sees Walt and then goes off into the jungle. And then all of the events ensue that gets Shannon killed. And what, does Saeed, like, at some point in his misery go and take down the, the sex tent? Is that where he was, uh, you know, the uh, last week in SOS mm-hmm. when, when Jack yeah. was looking for Saeed? But he, he said, no, sorry, I have to go take down the sex tent. It's been up for and too Jack's long. Like, and, hear you loud and clear, buddy. I've taken down a sex tent in my time. I'm divorced, yeah, you know. So uh, he, was, he couldn't participate in SOS because he had to deal with the, uh, I don't know, I was going to say sexo-sex. That's not as good. The sexo-sex <laughs> tent. Uh, so Hurley's gonna go on the. He's gonna go take Libby for a walk to the to the place where Said used to go with Shannon. Back at the hatch, Locke is like, "Oh, whoa, Michael! This is a surprise. Uh, is the trade work?" And Jack's like, "No, it didn't. Uh, definitely not. And uh, we're not gonna. You know, we're not gonna just like this isn't gonna work out the way that we want it to work out. And the, these guys aren't on the honor system. It wasn't a coincidence. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that this episode." For as much of the Locke and Jack sparring as we've talked about just as a theme of this, this is a rare episode where they are in sync. Like, Locke is going to reflect the point of view that Jack had at the very beginning of this episode, right? Of like, well, it can't be a coincidence that Michael just happened to stumble into you guys. And they're going to see them really come together at the end here. Uh, so this is a well, like an episode where they make a temporary truce, even if Jack's saying that you know the others do not play by the honor system. It seems like he and Locke are playing nice. They for are now. for now, and we'll we'll talk about that even more in a little bit. Um, in the jungle, uh, Sawyer's going for a walk. He hears somebody step on a branch. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Coming out, it's Anna Lucia coming out one last time as she gives him the side head look as you talk about Mike. <laughs> Uh, and we get into this this whole debacle about. All right, I still want a gun. How about you give me that one? I'm not gonna. gonna I'm not gonna g- give me you nothing. <laughs> good line. Just great grammar is just dying as quickly as Anna Lucian. It's a good line. It's a good line. Uh, he goes, "What are you gonna do now, muchacha?" As he has her pinned to the ground, and what she's gonna do? She's gonna make out with him. Making out. Uh, they're gonna. 
Yeah, you know, she she could have very easily done uh, what Kate did all the way back in, like, the Tabula Rasa of it all, right? And just, like, knee him in the crotch and then take the yeah. gun. Uh, but no, she's uh, she's going for the, the boinkage move. And why not? I, They've both I, been on the island for a long time. He's hot, she's hot. Isn't that what she says at one time? You're hot, she's hot. Uh, well, that's the thing is I love the look on this is like not a great episode for Sawyer, but I love the look on Josh Holloway's face when she initially does this. Right. Because obviously, from Anna's perspective, it's a clear tactic. But the way Sawyer like backs up and looks at her and then just immediately goes into it definitely shows to your point that like he is horny AF at this point. And the fact that like he got, you know, a couple of kisses from Kate, but really nothing to the extent that he wanted to. At the end of the day, as much of a heart as he may have under his rugged exterior, he is still a bit of a, ho- a horn boy. Like that was <laughs> his big. <laughs> that was that was his con, right? It was like he would sleep with uh, women and sure. then let the cat, the suitcase of money, fly yeah. out. So like, it's clear that you know you you can only take so much of that man uh, out of Australia. So I, I think it makes sense as to why he ends up falling. Yeah, into it's this. a shame they don't have any ice cream uh, or enchiladas. <laughs> or enchiladas. <Yeah. laughs> uh, they do have mangoes, so maybe they're just going to eat mangoes off. It's going to be other. so sticky uh, afterwards. I mean, it would be not sticky with the other foods either. Uh, but anyway, so that's what's going to go on. Uh, fun scene. Uh, I I've, I also love. Um, we we are not, not going to talk about this in the Jim Fells video, but I do love how like the primal jungle mm-hmm, yeah. drums are pounding while this is happening to really show this is like the me man she woman type of you know troglodyte caveman you type got of that stuff that pounding with. music um all right flashback <laughs> time uh and actually i think one of the final flashbacks of the episode it's like happening midway through uh we're gonna get a scene with anna and christian and it's the precursor to the scene um from uh from from outlaws uh where we see christian and sawyer at the bar and it's gonna be the final time we see Anna Lucia and Christian together. Let's listen in in full. We need some damn music in here. Who is she? Who is who? That woman. She is a very long story, Sarah. It's Anna Lucia. Oh, I'm still Tom. You're pathetic. That's what you were. But you're sweet ass, are you? Why are you here? I'm here because I can't apologize to my son. He tried to help me, so I thanked him by cutting him off. I thanked him by hating him. You came here for the same reason I did, kiddo. You ran away. My, my. Look what fate has delivered up this time. Let's go have a drink or ten and be pathetic together, what do you say? No. No. That's your call. Hey, I'm walking here. Wait. Don't. Let's just get the hell out of Sydney. 
Let's just go. Let's go back. I can't ever go back. See you, Kendall. it and like i guess probably you know he's going to talk to sawyer he's going to get some free drinks from sawyer and then he's he's toast see that's the thing is that maybe the next time we we go around to lost here we'll do the chronologically lost because i would love to see how much his performance here influences his temperament and his words in that scene from outlaws right because that really does seem like he is at his most confidently despondent and there are echoes right like much like in the outlaw scene in this scene he basically says like i ran away because i can't apologize to my son uh he talked to outlaws about like if i could just get on the phone right now and tell him i would so, like this is clearly a mentality that he has had uh in his head the entire time i also believe lostpedia told me josh this is the first and only time that a flashback scene produced three characters from Lost sort of like running into each other from a connection perspective between Christian, Anna, and Sawyer here. Usually it's like a Sawyer getting, you know, hauled off in the police station in the background or Hurley being on TV when Jin goes to try to kill somebody. So this is the first time that really is a triumvirate, but the focus is on Christian Shepard here. And I also love, again, echoes back to the, the man that Anna's going to face in an, an airport bar in an area a couple days when he calls her kiddo which I always found so interesting considering that that is definitely a, a term we're used to him calling Jack. Jack. Yeah. The, fact that he, the fact that he regards her as that maybe feels like he feels a bit parental towards her in that regard. And then also I think further influences uh, the way he approaches their relationship. That maybe it's less so about like sucking her into his void and more so like, hey, let me just tell you how the world works and I'll be sort of your, your father, your shepherd, if you will, through this. Uh, I also found it um, particularly noteworthy this time around to hear Christian say, uh, I can never go back and contrasting that against we have to go back, the iconic line. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of like think about uh, the two different shepherds and Christian telling Jack, like, you don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough. When when these two men are both at like the very ends of their rope, Jack will be the one who decides to start climbing back up um, and Mm -hmm. and is not going to be like, you know, there's the moment in through the looking glass at the start of that episode where he's going to throw himself off the bridge and he's given up and I can't go back. I can never go back. But then after the Jeremy Bentham of it all and everything that goes down and him reuniting with Kate at the end, uh, and that's going to that's gonna push him towards where we are ultimately going to go for season five and beyond, uh, he's going to decide we have to go back. We have to go back. And Christian's just never going to have that moment. Um, I just think that that's an, uh, a neat parallel to draw between the two shepherds. And that's I really love that as well. And again, that's why I really love that scene in Outlaws is because for all of his, you know, speechifying about that as a child, Christian Shepard here ultimately proves he is a coward. And he acknowledges it. This fact of like, hey, I might have what it takes as a doctor, but I do not have what it takes maybe as a person. And that there's this idea that like the the amount of heart that Jack wears on his sleeve makes him the better person than his father at the end of the day. That Christian is somebody who is going to like, you know, 
drive himself into alcoholism, into a deep rut, run all around the world, you know, siring children, and eventually wind up here in a point where he does sound again, he's so confident at this point, I can never go back. It's like borderline suicidal, in my opinion. And it's not suicidal like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this to myself, but more so suicidal in that, like, if I were to die tomorrow, it would be completely understandable. And we, we're not going to see canonically what happens between that conversation with Sawyer and him ending up on that coroner's table a la Jason McCormick in the flashback of White Rabbit. But you can imagine that this, this, this event was part of a downward spiral. Like, I can imagine that Christian Shepard sought company here in Andalusia. That's why he makes this cockamamie offer to this random woman he met in an airport bar to head down to Australia with me for some unfinished business. And her abandoning him in that moment might be the straw that breaks the camel's back in a certain Seems regard. like it. Um, back on the island, we begin with Sawyer in this like incredible pose, like the post-coitus pose where he's just like kind of yeah. just like full Fabio in this moment. And and good makeup work on the uh, healing bullet wound mm-hmm. in his shoulder. Yeah, so he's just there shirtless, and he's just like, hey. And she's like, hey, by the way, you tell anybody about this, and I'll kill you. Uh, so cuddling is off the table. Very funny line from Sawyer. Yeah, though he'll find out later on that uh, she got some stuff. Maybe not some some cuddling in, but she's able to cuddle something else a bit more colder and metallic. Uh, meanwhile, the other person who is going to be uh, on the receiving end of a metallic object in not terribly long from now, Libby, uh, she's going to catch Hurley at the pantry. He's getting all the food ready. She's like, hey, didn't we just go through all this with Dave? He's like, it's not that. It's not that. Well, and here's the thing, like, Hurley, as much as uh, he might have been caught in the act, he's still bringing an extraordinary amount of food on a picnic. Like, he's grabbing just things that would make them feel like they're going to be away for a week in the sex tent, which I feel like is not maybe unheard of, but still at a disproportionate amount of food for it's the It's crackers, it's crackers, and I mean, he's not going to bring all the necessities, you know, he's not going to get all the right stuff anyway, so... Uh, Hurley, Hur- this is Hurley's first picnic. I get the sense that this is Hurley's first picnic, but not Libby's first picnic. When Hurley says, like, look, mm. uh, I wanted this to be a surprise. We're going to go on a picnic. Uh, it's going to be really great. And she seems, like, really, like, taken aback by it. She thinks it's very, very sweet. You know why, Mike? Because in the future, where Libby's from, she and Hurley picnicked all the time. Uh, and he was like a very competent and confident picnicker. And here he is at his very first picnic ever, very scared. And so this is very sweet for Libby. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is so not like you. And I love it. Well, one thing is clear after this, no matter what, Hurley will never forget a picnic blanket <laughs> yeah, picnic again. Picnic blankets are always going to be on the menu. Moving forward, uh, back at the hatch, uh, Anna comes back. Actually, before we get into that, I'll just mention one thing from the shooting script briefly, because this scene was elongated initially, and the final exchange, and assumingly the final exchange, uh, you know, before Libby ends up leaving Hurley, is Hurley tells Libby to call him Hugo. And so that's like, a, it's a really cute moment that I'm sad made the cutting room floor, uh, but it just makes it all the more sadder as to what ends call up happening. Call me Hugo. Uh, that's a, a different episode that uh, could have been uh, a great episode title. Yeah, if he was pursuing a white whale of sorts. Um, over at the hatch, Anna returns, uh, and Jack's like, hey, what happened to your head? And Locke's like, oh, that was my fault. Uh, I was just scrubbing the floors too hard, and I didn't dry them up, and Anna slipped and wiped out. Knocked her head on the counter. It was, it was very funny. You should have seen it. It was hysterical. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Michael is waking up. He's stirring awake. 
Uh, and everyone's like, Jack's like, oh, hey, man. And Mike's like, hey, man. Oh, my God. Good to see you. And Locke's like, hey, Michael. And Michael's like, John. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, he's here. He's here. Uh, but as Michael stirs back to life, he is going to give them the scoop on what he has seen during his time away. I found them. After I left, I hiked north, back to where we were. Hiked to the beach, followed the shoreline. A day later, I saw one. What did it look like? It was dirty. Worn clothing, no shoes, simple. Just like the rest of them. Like the rest of them? Yeah. His people. The others. I followed him back to his camp. They, they live in tents. Canvas tents and, and teepees. They eat dried fish. They're worse off than we are. How many of them were there? I counted 22. And the, the boat? I didn't see it. Did you see Walt? No. But I know he's there. What about everyone else they took? Cindy? Did you see any other kids? No. No, no kids. No, but I think they're in the same place as my boy. They have a hatch. How do you know that they... There's a set of metal doors leading underground. What else could it be? And you think that that's where they're keeping the kids? They keep the guard at 24-7. At two guards, two guns, and two guns is all I saw. They're barely armed. Most of them are old and half of them are women. I wanted... I couldn't save him. So I came back to tell you tell you that we can take them as soon as I get my strength back I will take us back there and we are gonna get my boy back so Michael's gonna kill Anna Lucia and then he's gonna shoot Mm -hmm. Libby and she will slowly die and then he's gonna shoot himself and free Ben Linus and all of like the pandemonium is gonna result from that but is Michael's initial plan here a that he is going to honestly lead Jack and everybody to this place that he's just described and hope that everything kind of just works itself out and maybe like come up with some sort of way of like getting Ben along for the ride. Um, And B, if that is the plan, is that a pretty good plan? I have to say that like, yeah, Michael's going to do something unforgivable in this episode, but so far, like I feel like for just having woken up, this is not bad. Like, we're off to maybe, like, so, a decent start here with the plan. Let me answer your question with another question. Is, like, how much was he coming up with this as he was making the walk back? Because, like you said, he wakes up and he, like, immediately jumps into the story. Or do you think well, he was, every- like, pretending to be knocked out for a while and being like, all right, let me... Because if you're talking about giving the scoop, a good amount of this is poop. Even from what Michael knows, which is still, like, a charade of what the others but are But a decent amount of it is true. Stuff. A decent amount of it is yeah. true. I- but he's, but he's going to lie that he didn't see Walt. He's going to lie about, like, oh, it being mostly women. He's going to—there's he's, he's there's still things that he is going to omit. He's going to lie uh, about the people that he's been given to come take. Right. 
But I think like if he is able to give like the broad strokes basics of what he's seen and what he has seen is not terribly far from what he's saying that they live in in huts. There's the metal hatch like he's describing the place pretty well. If he's able to be like, all right, well, let's pull together a crew uh, and he is able to to bring the people back that are on the list. And if he's somehow like, hey, and let's bring the other and maybe we can do some sort of exchange uh, like he like may be able to do this like relatively bloodlessly. Uh, I think yeah. as far as everything's going so far, this is the better plan than what he ends up doing. <laughs> I would say at least the one that literally gets less blood on his yeah. hands and also turns his son against him once they end up taking off on that boat. But yeah, I mean it's, it's a clear strategy, right? He is building up the weakness of the others so that he could easily be like. All right, uh, let me pick four of you. Um, let me see, kind of rando, but uh, how about Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and Hurley? Why don't you, and only them, sorry, Saeed, why don't you come with me and we can just take on all these uh, these olds and all the all the women in this little, all the yurts in the other ville, and we'll just take them, and they won't know what hit you, them. You, in this version of the plan, you have to take Saeed. You have to just, like, not object to all the people that are going to come along for the ride and hope that the others can handle them, and then when you get to the others, you'll be like, look, I had to. Had to. You wanted, like, most of the stuff. I got you most of the stuff. So the question is, like, if... I mean, we can obviously get into this when it comes into the three minutes and live together, die alone, and of it all. Like, if someone different had come... Like, if Saeed had come along, would they have just killed Saeed? Like, obviously, everyone had a purpose. What would happen if there was a come with Yeah, person? they'd probably just shoot him. All right, well, that's sad. And then to give Saeed even more reason to shoot baby Ben yeah, Linus two seasons much, from pretty now. pretty much. Uh... But a big speech from Harold Perrineau with his first really big moment since um, since leaving the show many, many episodes ago. Uh, certainly not his biggest moment of the episode, but a, but a good showcase. Uh, I pulled a sound uh, from, from the next scene that I want to listen to that maybe isn't like a massively remarkable scene, but there's there's something important about it that I want to talk about when we're, when we're done listening to it. And to set the stage, it's Jack and Locke are by the computer in the Swan Station. They're going to have a little chat. You were right. Right about what? About Henry. What you and Saeed did to him when you first found him. You were... You were right. I don't like how you did it, but... I shouldn't have gotten in your way. You did what you thought was right at the time you thought it, Jack. I just hope the next time you decide to do something, you include me. And something tells me that's going to be soon. You heard Michael. We can take them. Our friend with the beard told us not to cross the line. These people are liars, John. Why the hell should we take their word on anything? I couldn't agree more. So... So I like this scene um, for a couple of reasons. One, Jack and Locke finally like getting on the same page, even if they're not quite on the same page for the right reason. But also because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is going to be like the last really meaningful Jack and Locke solo scene until uh, I guess Locke blows up the submarine in The Man from Tallahassee, yeah. but then more profoundly the end of uh, of Through the Looking Glass when Locke stabs Naomi in the back. I think that this is this is the culmination of the Locke and Jack storyline for the next little while. 
Yeah, and I think it's also a very pertinent moment then, not a paranoid moment, where the two of them are saying, okay, we're we're seeing through the same pair of eyes at the moment. Granted, one eye might be focused in a different way than another, but they sort of find common ground here where Jack says, Locke, you were right the entire time about, you know, not trusting Ben. And Locke sort of admits, like, yeah, you could have included me, but at least we're sort of seeing things together now, and we know how to take on the others. Jack is taking the surprisingly more aggressive approach, uh, which might be more attributed to somebody like Locke. So it's a way for them to shake hands, and I think that might linger in their heads and reverberates really nicely, as you mentioned, in comparison to the next major moment between these two, which is going to occur at the end of Season 3, where despite being so simpatico in this moment and for the rest of the episode, Locke is going to side with Ben over Jack at this point and kill the person who uh, would be responsible for getting them off the island. And Jack is so stringently supportive of that that is going to drive a schism in them that echoes through season four uh, until really Locke comes back and dies. And that's when Jack is finally going to have his come around moments. This is almost like a precursor to something that is going to happen with his character three years in the future, essentially. Yeah, so it's cool. Uh, cool moment uh, between between Jack and Locke that I think sets up a lot of where we are going for certainly the rest of season two, but also the rest of the show writ large. Also, a little, little bit of a petty Betty Locke with being like, and the next time you do something, I hope you include me. Like, it's just, it, Locke, you got your own stuff that you were hiding well, from Well, you know what? I so. think also for Locke, like, he's like, all right, so you're coming in, you're telling me you were right, and, like, you're trying to butter me up. I see through that. I see you, Jack Shepard. Uh, so it's like, so you better just, like, if that's what you're going to do, then just, like, get to the point. Uh, like, you know, yeah. these these guys are a little bit over each other's bullshit, I think. They've been stuck in the hats together, yeah. uh, Felix and Oscaring it for long enough. Uh, I think that they're ready to, to, to clean up the apartment and move on i remember that episode of the odd cover when uh, oscar (laughs) left the water on the floor and felix slipped and cut his head a big one uh so they're gonna go and they're gonna get the guns back from sawyer Anna lucia is gonna guard the base give sawyer my best she says which is well she already did or maybe uh i don't know depending on how she viewed it maybe sawyer enjoyed it a bit more. she already gave sawyer her best uh meanwhile hurley is doing his best with libby uh his future island queen uh in time traveling uh, chronology. Do you, th- do you think Hurley would would deem himself king, or do you think like what would be the title he'll give himself as as you know uh, ruler I of the island, king, right? King of the island. It's cool. I wonder. If, I wonder if you go with like president, president or something. I don't know. President Reyes, King Reyes, King Hugo. I think you, King Hugo. I feel like Hurley, Hurley is the type of person to not necessarily be like I'm King Hugo. You know that reminds me a bit more of like Prince Siska of it all. I, I think that Hugo would be nah, the person I think to he'd be, just like, be like, no, like, no, I'm Hurley. That's it. Yeah, like you could you could just call me Hugo, yeah, man. I'm Hurley, dude. Uh, so Hurley and Libby, uh, they're going to be on their way to the picnic, and this is how it's going to go down. Watch your head, almost there. You ever watch the Flintstones? Sure, you should watch all the time. When I was in the hospital, when I broke my hip. Well, did you ever notice how Fred would run by the same thing over and over again? Third time past this tree. Uh, that's a different tree. <sighs> Hurley, it's okay if you're lost. Dude, I'm not lost. Will you trust me? We're right about to walk onto the most excellent secret beach on the island. And surprise! Uh, Hurley, this is our beach. There's Jim. 
Hey, I tell you what, why do I have the picnic here? Come on, give me the blankets. Blankets? You don't have any blankets? How about drinks? Okay, I tell you what, I will handle the blankets. You just track down Rose and Bernard. I saw them pull wine from the pallet, okay? Oh, wine. Uh, groovy. Hey, maybe if I get drunk enough, I'll remember where I know you from. And unfortunately, what is not heard is one of the best, well, I'd say one of the top 10 Jin Kwan moments, yes. Josh, in Lost History, uh, where Hurley looks over to Jin and in an okay daddy-o type of way, flashes a big old yep. thumbs up and approving smile to Hurley, which is one of the most used Lost gifts, at least oh, I've yeah, seen in my yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, when you search Lost gifts on Twitter, uh, Jin giving the thumbs up is one of the top ones that even pops up, and it's from this moment. And it's incredible, and to tip my hand in the 23-point section, Jin Kwan, who does not deliver a single piece of dialogue in this entire episode, getting a point for the thumbs up. It is just, it is perfectly delivered. By, <laughs> one point it per is, thumb. It is perfectly delivered by Daniel Day Kim. It is just such a such a cleverly written moment where uh, I think I think everyone involved in the production of Lost like knows to trust the characters and the actors and the audience's relationship with the actors and characters so much that just like a simple thumbs up from from Jin Kwan in this moment is is going to be exactly what we need and for that to exist in an episode that is going to trade on that same ability but in a much darker way uh with with what's going to happen with michael which is such a surprise uh killing two characters who if not are universally beloved are still at this point very familiar and known to us Mm -hmm. um i think it's just is very clever that this episode is able to pull pull both of those things off in the space of a single installment Let's talk about, because this is the final exchange outright between Hurley and Libby here. And I think, you know, some people might go into this being like, you should give Hurley the LVP point because if he had the blanket, then Libby wouldn't have gone to the hatch. But I don't know. I feel like Hurley means so well in this. And clearly, as has been reflected specifically in Dave, this is not a situation that he has is used to finding himself in. It's clear he's feeling a lot of pressure to want to impress someone like Libby, who he's convinced uh, you know, is someone who's out of his league to begin with, that I do not begrudge him here. More so, I'll give credit to Libby for, like, the patience and kindness she gives to Hurley. Like, it's clear that she has so much care for him that she will follow him through with these shenanigans around the plant, the Hanna-Barbera back ro- background for the third time, out to their own beach. Like, the amount of restraint she has, it would make sense if she indeed was a therapist before this, because, you know, she she treats him so well, over the course of their time together, which unfortunately will be cut short yeah. here. Except for all that time, they've got centuries still to look forward to in the future. Yeah, not at least in this in, in this, this timeline, timeline from a certain perspective. <laughs> also, I wonder what uh, Rose and Bernard were doing with the wine. I guess they were sort of celebrating coming back together after the whole after the whole SOS debacle. Yeah, I love the idea that Rose and Bernard are hoarding the wine and like no, like they've bought themselves so much goodwill that nobody's even like really questioning it. I mean, I, hopefully Desmond didn't like sneak in and grab it, you know. When nah, he came he's got back his McCutcheon. He's got his stash on the on the on the boat, uh, so he's he's working through all of that. Uh, great scene, great scene. Final scene for Hurley and Libby, other than uh, like the, the the death rattle coming up next yeah, exactly. week, which uh, I don't know if we'll play as a sound. Um, Mike, I believe you're in charge of the sounds for next week. Uh, I don't no. know if you want to put the death rattle in our ears, but that's the well, choice we'll see is how, yours. Uh, we'll- <laughs> 
We'll see how strapped we are for Sam's. I feel like we won't, considering uh, what question Mark has to provide. But we'll see. Never Hopefully say never. Hopefully not. Um, all right. So Jack and the crew are going to walk up to Sawyer, who's reading Bad Twin. Uh, and he's going to be the first to figure out who done it. Uh, another who done it reference after Lindsay. Uh, do you think? Uh, do you think Hurley just gave up before the ending, or is Sawyer making false claims here that he would be the first to find out? Apparently, what the Bad is? Twin sucks, and Hurley is a man of taste. So I believe uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that Hurley would just be like, "Nah, I don't want to read this anymore." And you think Sawyer would be like, "Hey, what you reading there? Mind if I take a glance?" Or is like, "Sure, sure, dude." Sawyer's a voracious read reader, so even if it's bad, he's going to read it. Um, but Jack's going to throw the thing in the fire, which apparently is what many critics would have liked to have done with Bad Twin. Uh, and he's making his stand for the guns. It's time. They want the guns. Give us the guns. They've brought Kate along. Oh, a sympathy vote. She's not in my head, Doc. Uh, and she definitely is in his head. Uh, and he pulls the Jack pulls a gun on Sawyer. And Sawyer's going to pull a gun on Jack, and we're going to have an old standoff, except for the fact that the guns are not in Sawyer's possessions right now, including the one that he had while he was walking around with Anna Lucia. She stole my gun. And Jack's like, why would Anna Lucia steal your gun? And we like cut to Anna Lucia pulling the gun out of her boot back at the hatch. Well, at first, Locke's like, uh, Jack, I gotta, gotta tell, tell you something, something, buddy. Gotta tell you something. Yeah, Locke has this look of panic on his face. Like, hey, uh, Jack, so I messed up. Uh, well, at least at least this is not a usual. I feel like the lock of the past though would like not say anything. Like at least he's he's coming clean a bit to Jack in this moment. Maybe he would not. He still originally. screwed it up. He screwed everything up. Uh, so we're gonna go to the hatch and we are going to get a rematch between Anna Lucia and Benjamin Linus. Let's listen in. Pick it up. Cut yourself loose. What? Just do it. Why? You know why. saying you were misunderstood what are you talking about goodwin yes he told us all about you huh? how he thought you were worthy and that he could change you Who's gonna kill me? Was he? Are you done? Yes, Anna, I'm done. So this is it, huh? Yes, Henry. This is it. I 
really like uh, when when Ben goes, was he? Was he going to kill you? <laughs> yeah, it's a very Larry David thing. I'm like, ah, was he really going to do that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, he was. Ben <laughs> just uh, stare each other down. I mean, we saw the other 48 days. We know that was the case. But again, this is Ben trying well, to get debate into- that? Didn't we debate, like, was Goodwin going to kill Anna there? Or was the next thing he was going to say, so look... So I actually want to recruit you. Like, and she's the one who like makes the move, right, and kind of escalates it. Yeah, but still, I think she was justified. Oh, I'm not to saying she was justified. I'm just saying that, like, right, but that's what she's arguing. That's yeah, what Ben was yeah, saying yeah. was like, you weren't justified to do right. it. And speaking of that scene, I also love the echo where, uh, and even though he's not in this episode, where Anna Lucia slides the knife to Ben, the one, the very one that Goodwin gave her uh, in that conversation before he died, and you know they they faced off. So it's a nice little. Uh, you know, memory there of that conversation in so many ways that clearly is still reverberating in her head. You know, you very much see in these last couple scenes of Anna Lucia on the island, the same Anna who broke down at the riverbank at the end of the other 48 days, someone who is so hardened to do what she has to do. But obviously, when things settle down and the feelings creep back in, she has second thoughts about what she's doing. And Ben is only accelerating those thoughts by making her realize, like, you're a killer. You think you're doing this for the greater good of it all, but you don't realize that the justifications you're making are not valid, even though they are in the case of the others. Uh, because of what happened with Jason McCormick, it's something that is hitting very close to home for her. And you have to imagine, like, how much does this contribute to the reason why she ultimately doesn't pull the trigger? Or does it speak more towards just the change of heart that she yeah, has? Yeah, I in think general? that this episode is a really great Anna Lucia send off uh, on, on a lot of levels, not just Michelle Rodriguez doing a really, really great job. Um, but I think, like, as you note, her sliding that knife back, like the return of the knife, I think is, uh, is, a, is a really good touch for the character. But also of this person who's just, like, exhausted by life and exhausted from, mm-hmm. like, this uh this this pile up of bad shit you know uh just like uh being like surrounding her life in this fortress of mistakes uh she's just done with it uh and like even even then like even when she she can't kill this guy in cold blood because she's so tired of it she's done with the violence she doesn't know what to do she can't do it anymore that even then she still makes one more mistake and it's the last one, you know. It's the it's the worst one. It's the fatal mistake. Uh, so I think it's it's just a very human episode for Anna Lucia. And I think that there, there's a lot of reasons why Anna doesn't rank as like a favorite character for a lot of people, or even a well regarded character for a lot of people. And I would posit that one of them is like she makes people uncomfortable because like she's very human. Uh, she just like screws yeah. up a lot. She screws up a ton. She, 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 she can be a very frustrating yeah. character, you know, especially the way she was initially personified as someone who was very headstrong and very adamant. She was the one that was, like, giving no regard to these characters we love and Michael and Jin and Sawyer. And then we find out through the other 48 days and Collision and now Two for the Road, like, what makes her who she is. Uh, but it's not like, you know, it, it made her a bit of an unpalatable character to begin with. And I guess that your mileage may vary as to whether or not that backstory helps you under it helps you understand the character. I think the bigger question is like, does that make you like the character yeah. more? Um, and I think for me, it does. I don't know. I, I think that um, on this rewatch, I've been so pleasantly surprised by how I've reacted to Anna Lucia. I, I just, I, I just agree. think like, 
I don't know, the fact that she's so intensely human, that she screws up so often, takes the time to acknowledge the ways in which she screwed up and then screws up even more, just feels like a person. <laughs> I mean, it feels like John Locke. Yeah. That's a facet of John Locke that you've said and you've I love absolutely that. I love loved. That. Maybe. I love that. And, and, and disagreeing with some others that like you love the fact that he is wrong. And we'll find in a few episodes he will outright say I was wrong. He is wrong. Yeah. No, and that, that, yeah, I, mean, I but, think that that's one of the things that resonates with me as a as a as a viewer of fiction. Uh, and just as a person is like, I, I am somebody who recognizes this in myself. Like I'm somebody who like, who will feel something very, 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 very intensely. And I will, I will like feel it all the way down to the end of the line. And I will go all the way down to the end of the line on that feeling. And then I will recognize that like, that was severe, maybe, maybe too harsh, maybe a, a really drastic mistake. And will spend a long time just like beating myself up over the severity of the thing. And mm-hmm. then I will, I will like, go back up and down those peaks and valleys. Like that is, that is very much a pattern in my life. And so I see that in the John Locke character. I see it in the Anna Lucia character. Uh, and it's very, very alive in this episode where the, you know, the final push of the episode is she has that phone call with her mom after hearing Jack's whole thing uh, with, you know what, Christy, uh, like I'm just done with you. Uh, yeah. I, I realized maybe in retrospect, like I should have given LVP points to Chrissy every time she shows up <laughs> on screen. Cause we had it here. We have it in house yeah, of the rising yeah, sun and we have it, you know, in two for the road. You as well. But she calls her mom to basically be like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to come home. Uh, and so her mom is going to say, then come home. I'll be here when you land me. Huh? And it's a beautiful scene. I, I I love it. And this episode serves one of the reasons why it's such a great send off for the character. Love her. Hater is because there is so much closure yeah. in this character, right? Like she gets one over on Sawyer, the guy who's been antagonizing her the entire time, even though she does not end up meeting her mother. Like she's able to tell her mother what she always yes, wanted to tell yes. her, which is like, I did this. I did not mean to shirk your love, but I, I only did it because I made Stop a mistake right and I had to get away as far as I could, but I, I, I want to come home. And even though she's not able to finish off that journey, I think the fact that she expressed that desire in the first place is almost closure in and of itself. And it's going to segue so nicely into that last scene where her admitting that like she couldn't shoot him is her really saying like, I have changed as a person. I realize that this is not the person that I need to be. I, for a long time, thought that I had to be the person to do this. Anna Lucia, the cop. Anna Lucia, the person who uh, tries to escape violence by begetting more violence, getting more blood on her hands. And she realizes that she doesn't need to be that killer that Ben Linus told her to be. And you mentioned the line before, but I can't do this anymore. It's just, uh, it's one of my favorite Anna Lucia lines, to be completely honest. Because, like, it's... You don't realize how exhausted she is being Anna Lucia to a certain extent. You don't realize how much it just wears on her to have to not only go through all this stuff, but internalize it so much and maybe create an exterior that is not so soft and loving and just the like pure exhaustion that shows in Michelle Rodriguez's performance, both in the airport and in the hatch. It's so relatable, especially in this day and age. We are mentally exhausted day after day. I'm sure there are many times when we have all looked ourselves in the mirror or looked at our significant others and said, I, I can't, can't do, do this, this anymore. anymore. It is such a, a sympathizing moment, and that's why it is so perfect that it ends up being her last year. And I also love the fact that, you know, in this moment when Michael comes to see her, this is the second and last time that Anna Lucia is going to cry. It's it's a moment where like we we never see her do it except for the very end of the other forty eight days, 
and here. And it just shows a moment where she's going to let her cards show. And in one case with Echo, it's going to be, you know, one of her biggest supporters uh, till the end of her days. In the other case here, it's really going to end up not going well. But the mistake is understandable considering how much she has pent up at this point. She has been a volcano and she's finally ready to become. Well, I, so so it's it's great. And for a while, like I, I was frustrated by this part of the arc because I felt like, you know, the ending of the episode is she couldn't bring herself to kill Ben. And so that's like the moral victory. But then she gives the gun over to Michael and Michael does what he does. And so like, what is, what is like the final balance on Anna Lucia? If that's what she goes on to do. And again, uh, and this is something that I appreciate a lot more now on this rewatch is like, this is succumbing to the Faustian deal of the Island, right? Like this is that, this is Mm. that moment here we are, we're in hell, you know? And this is like the, the most devilish decision that's been made in the hatch that we've seen so far. Um, where, Michael is being given a choice from Anna Lucia. Uh, Anna Lucia is being given a choice by Michael. Uh, and the, they are both given this, like, this, this moment where you do not have to do what you are going to do next. But if you do what you mm-hmm. are going to do next, and it, because you think that it's the answer, if you do this, you will be damned forever. It will be the end yep. of everything. You can, you can never go back. You won't be back. able to go back from this. You'll be like Christian Shepherd. You can't go back. Uh, and I think it, it is, I think it's important in fiction to allow your characters to embody that idea of the fatal mistake sometimes. And I think it could be, it could be, it could be hard to do that because you want to give everybody like a nice, pretty, perfect arc. Um, and Anna almost gets that here where Anna's saying like, I can't do it anymore. And rather than it now being like a tussle between her and Michael for the gun and then she gets killed, she makes the active decision to give Michael a gun to kill someone. Uh, she couldn't bring herself to do it, but now Michael comes in with a persuasive argument of, I can do it, and he deserves it. And so she goes back to where she was, effectively, when she was in the armory with Ben. And she gives him the guns. Like, all right, fine, and here's the combo, and go ahead and do it. Um, so she walks it back. She walks that growth back. And that's what I mean when it's like it, you're, you're surrounded by this mountain of mistakes, and you're so close to coming out. And then you just pile on one more and you slip all the way back down into the into the pit. Um, and and that's what happens to, to Anna Lucia and her going out scene uh, as well. It's, 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 but it's interesting, though, that you say like she decelerates her growth, because I actually feel like her decision to give the gun to Michael shows a bit of growth on her part, because let's remember, Anna Lucia is a fiercely independent person. She is the person who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a, an outsider here, so I'm going to spend five episodes building my own shelter with nobody here to help me. I think her abdicating the gun to Michael actually does say something. The fact that she is able to be like, okay, you know what? I'm I'm going to work with... I think it shows a bit of trust in Michael in a matter of ways that she did not show, certainly when she put him down in the pit in the first few episodes of season two, but just in general... As a person, I think she is someone who has been, you know, desperately looking for connection in a manner of ways where she feels like her position of leadership has given her the lack of ability to do so. We've tracked her relationship with Sai, but I feel like her relationship with Michael is another key facet of that, considering the time that they sort of spent together on the other side of the island, which makes it even more tragic that this is Michael. This is a guy who, like, she stared down, you know, from the pit. There's this beautiful symmetry where we hear it in the previously on remember in, in collision when Anna's telling Michael about the others being like they're animals like they don't care about you and then what do we hear in this scene Michael say 
oh, they're animals, give me the gun, I'll kill them. And so it's this really beautiful opposition of, and Lucia has sort of rubbed off on Michael from a certain perspective, and now Michael is sort of taking this role on the mantle, this guy who is going to be extremely burdened by what he feels like he needs to do in order to get his son back. Yeah. I think I, I get what you're saying about like uh, her like seeing a connection and, and latching onto that and that being growth. Uh, I think like just wait for Jack to get back, wait for the guys to get back, wait for everybody to come back, and then let's talk this through a little more. Uh, but she decides instead, like, oh, you can kill him. All right, then go ahead and do it. You know, and it's effectively the same choice. She's just choosing not to be the one who actually pulls the trigger. Um, Either way, I mean, she gives him the weapon with which she dies. You know, like, she makes that choice. Uh, she makes that choice to pass the weapon off to Michael, and then Michael makes the choice to use that weapon to kill Anna Lucia, to shoot poor Libby, who comes from around the corner holding uh, the blankets. And, uh, and let, let's talk about this, because I think, you know, we talk about this a lot as, like, the Michael Dawson Breaking Bad. And it actually tracks a bit with the show of Breaking Bad because this moment reminded me a lot of when Walter White, you know, kills Crazy Eight. And I think what's like the second or third episode of the show, because I think what is sort of forgotten is the performance from Harold Perrineau in this final scene in these final few like 30 seconds or so is so complex and so interesting. Because I think we imagine him to be like John Wick style, like bang, 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 bang. I'm a man on a mission. That's what I need to do. But, like, when Anna gives him the gun, he looks down and he has tears in his eyes because he knows what he feels like he has to do. Uh, and so, you know, he knows what he has to do. He feels like he has to shoot Anna in that moment, and he shoots her, remorsefully so. But the big one is Libby, right? Because I love the camera work. The camera just swings around to reveal Libby, which I think is, is probably the, one of the bigger shocks of the entire thing. Oh, yeah. Thing, I mean, like, like okay. you shoot, he shoots Anna, and, like, that's a surprise, but, like, we kill off main characters in their episodes. This is a thing that happens now. Um, but then when Libby shows up, Libby, who has just been revealed as, like, having this secret connection to Hurley that we don't know anything about just a couple of episodes earlier, and she gets tapped not once but twice in the blankets uh like the look of shock on her face as she falls to her knees very much mirrors our own but the look of shock on his face yes. as yes. well that's the other thing is like it cuts to michael's face and he is stunned it's clearly this thing much like anna lucia nobody did. saw this many, many, <laughs> yeah many many episodes back where he heard something and he just yeah. shot his figure was on the trigger uh so he has this initial look of of stunning he then tries to like steal himself it's still clear he's in a lot of disbelief like he is trembling as he approaches that armory and and it's such an interesting again moment from harold Perrineau. we're gonna get more background as to what three minutes provided obviously the big question coming out of this episode is like what the hell happened to michael but as much as we've been charting sort of the course of michael and as much as he might become sort of a beleaguered character in loss in retrospect because of what he does and what his character ends up sort of coming with the Kevin Johnson of it all, I don't want people to forget this moment because it really is in Harold Perrineau's inner monologue to just see how much this is a choice that he does not want to make, but he also feels like he needs yeah. to. Um, and I should also mention that I remember at the time, this was such a big, emotionally powerful ending that some people on their first watch missed the fact that Michael shot himself in the yeah. shoulder. Some people thought he actually ended up shooting Ben and that he actually killed three people over the course of the final 30 seconds there. So that was also a, non, a fun little unintentional cliffhanger. It was like, oh, my God, wait, did Michael also well, kill Well, it's ben? not called three for the road, people. 
they would call it three for the road if he killed three of them. But no, two for the road. He kills Anna, shoots Libby, slow death for Libby, goes to Ben. Ben stands up. Michael staring at him with so much scorn and like, you better make good on this. This better have been worth the cost. Uh, this better have been worth every ounce of my soul that I am uh, that I'm giving you for this. Shoots himself in the shoulder. We cut to we cut to lost with that final gunshot. And notably, you don't hear like the of the of the title card revealed. No music, no sound effects well, other gonna, than what's happening in the moment. Yeah, not only that, no music whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, this the scene that was played in the intro that is the most the the score comes into play here. As soon as Michael shoots Anna Lucia, the it's only soundtrack. Are gunshots, the gunshots, and, and, and trembling the room, breaths. And, yeah, exactly. And it's it's a brilliant choice, but it wasn't the original choice, uh, as Jim Fells points out in his video. Actually, going back to that script, it said that the score was going to come in as Michael, you know, approaches the armory. And I am so glad they did not make that choice because it is so much better, and really just demonstrates how much the rug is pulled out from under you, as it was for these characters as to what was happening, where there is no swelling music to remind you that this is a TV show. You were watching murders in cold blood, almost in like a, a real-time, realistic setting, because there is nothing to sort of drop that fourth wall and make you realize that you are in a TV show. For a few seconds, you were immersed in this reality, and it is shocking. All right, let's get into the others. We've got some great feedback from people, some fun behind-the-scenes tidbits. Uh, it's it's an urban legend at this point. Um, the DUI incident where Cynthia Watros, mm. the actor, and Michelle Rodriguez, the actor, uh, they both uh, uh, got DUIs in Hawaii while shooting, and then they're both killed off in the same episode. And so the chatter has always been they were fired and killed off because of the DUIs, and that's why it feels so sudden. Um, believe what you will we've already uh covered in the past this idea that Anna Lucia was introduced intentionally as a one season character that is what Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse have claimed um and similarly now turning it towards Libby um from this interview in TV Guide with Michael Asiello uh Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof say that it had nothing to do with the DUI Carlton Cuse says we felt like we'd run out of story for Libby while we did develop the romance with her and Hurley we were starting to think about what sort of stories we were going to be telling for the characters in season three and we just didn't have enough for Libby that we were excited about on the other side we thought well shooting Anna Lucia it's going to be dramatic but we'll really make it incredible for the audience is that it'll be completely surprising if we shoot Libby too and it's going to be enhanced by the fact that Anna Lucia is not a particularly sympathetic character but if we add Michael shooting Libby also who's a very sympathetic character that really ratchets up the emotional stakes of the rest of the season Lindelof adds uh, that they almost changed the story because of the DUI incident uh, Lindelof says, basically, we said, oh, shit, both Michelle and Cynthia were busted the same night for DUI, and we've got this story point coming up where they essentially both get shot at the same time. It's going to look like this is the lost producers attempting to say, don't drive drunk. Ironically, we actually thought about changing it the other way around once the DUIs happened. Maybe we shouldn't do the plan now because people are going to think that this is a reaction to the DUIs, but it really was the best story we wanted to tell the best story. Um, Lindelof and Cuse also went on to say that their game plan was, even though Libby is dead at this point, they still have ideas for what's going to happen with Libby's story, and they will uh, learn about, quote-unquote, Libby's moves through flashbacks over the course of the next season. Um, but, of course, that never really comes to light. The, uh, the best laid plans and such. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, that is sort of ties into what we talked about with Dave, right? Where Cynthia Watros was maybe not terribly keen on Lost, and so they were not necessarily incentivized to bring her character back and bring more light to it. I also wonder, uh, do you think killing off her character might have influenced that decision as I well? Wonder. You know, she's like, well, if you're just going to kill my character off, then I don't, I don't really want to come back and have you explain my backstory. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting getting flown back and forth from Hawaii on ABC's dime. I don't know. If it were me, I'd I would be happy to do it every day of the week. Right, Maybe not every day of the week. Are you also, get jet lagged after a while. And then actors are also known to have egos. So I would say I, I would not be surprised if that was the case, especially if they were seeking other projects at the time. But Josh, this mean are we officially uh, busting the myth of the DUI then, given all this background and what we sort of ascertained over the course of the season? Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I think it is important to to lay it out that Lindelof and Cuse have have said outright, no, that's not the reason we did it. Um, but I don't know that you necessarily have to believe that to the letter of the law. Uh, you know, I think that there are, there are certainly, um, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, of, you know, you're protecting the plate, you're in charge of the show, you're, you're controlling a narrative with, with media and with fans and you need to protect that. And I can imagine an aspect of that being presented here in an interview like this, having, you know, conducted enough of these kinds of interviews over the course of my career, uh, you do get a sense of like when it's just lip service and, and when it's real. Um, I was not a participant in these conversations, so I, I have no idea. Um, but it would not surprise me at all if certainly the Libby one uh, is a little bit of like, yeah, we well, got to get rid of her too. And the creative solution is born um, from production strife. Um, I could buy it either way. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that it's like an open and shut case closed deal. I think what is open and shut and case closed is this is this is the 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 comment on the matter as far as the showrunners are concerned. And I would be surprised if you got them saying anything differently all these years later. Right. I mean, they can't necessarily be like uh, they we got them. We got we put their mug shut up in the writer's room and said, kill this person right yeah. now. I mean, they could say that if that was what happened, but I don't think that they will. I don't think that it serves anybody to, to really revisit this territory. Uh, someone may ask them at some point down the line. I'd be curious to see uh, if they hold to the answer or if they have a different answer. Um, but either way, like, I mean, I given the flow of lost, I think the important thing for me is that creatively it's the right choice. Creatively, you know, yep. I, I think that this ending is so powerful and having Libby be a part of the ending is so powerful. Uh, I think even just killing off Anna Lucia would have been a lot. Um, but I think that adding Libby to it makes it legendary, uh, makes it this legendarily dark moment and lost and really does make it the culmination of just the, 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 the fiendish temptation uh, that, that has been swirling throughout the hatch you know uh certainly since the arrival of henry gale but even long before of just like what this place represents a little hot for heaven uh so it it works it's really the climax of that in in many ways uh and the the destruction of the hatch will be cathartic uh for a few reasons not the least of which is you know it is uh, the obliteration of this nightmare world um and this is the embodiment of that nightmare getting uh all too real form in in Michael mm. shooting Libby and Anna Lucy and himself. It also shows just like how far some of these characters might go. Because I mean, I guess the closest comparison to what Michael does is Ethan shooting. I mean, Charlie shooting Ethan, right? But in that case, Charlie like had a reason to do so, and we obviously were painted with Ethan as this very evil character. This is such a game changer in that again, this is a member of our ensemble killing another two other members of our ensemble. 
and for reasons that were not known at the time. And it's just, it's something that nobody expected this character to do whatsoever. Unlike Charlie, I don't think Michael necessarily showed that amount of darkness in the time that we saw him to be the one to do this. So it was just, it was a shocking moment, again, not only for Anna Lucia and Libby, but also for Michael. Uh, And the crazy thing about this, Josh, is that in the original script, this was not the final scene of the episode. Right, yeah, the shooting script for the episode uh, that you've referenced a few times. uh, I guess the final scene was going to be Hurley on the beach waiting for Libby? Oh, and it's that's so freaking it's, dark. It's and really sad. sad but this is so much better. This is just a like I I think. Oh no! It's so I we, would I would I would rather deal with the shock than like have to be weeping at the idea of Hurley waiting forever for no, his but love I on the I beach. don't I think that like what is what what's being attempted at there is better represented by our reactions to it. Um, that like the idea that's being uh that that I think is being strived for in having Hurley waiting for Libby is to like have like another layer of disbelief as to what's going on. You don't need that. We in our living rooms are in disbelief over what's just happened. Uh, so I think just leave it where it is. Uh, because I do think, it to, to turn it to some feedback from people, uh, Down Sarah writes in and says, is this the original Red Wedding? Uh, not to spoil Game of Thrones for people, but I assume you've heard of the Red Wedding. Uh, we won't go into the, the specific specifics of the Red Wedding. And I don't think that... Well, we do see some we, the reigns of Canberra yeah. instead of Castamere I mean, in this I don't episode. think that this was the Red Wedding, the first Red Wedding, the original Red Wedding, but this is, this is Lost's first uh, Red Wedding. As you mentioned, like... Boone dies, but it's presented as like a heartbreaker, and it's really drawn out in dramatic fashion. I mean, he gets an entire death episode. You know, Shannon Shannon dies, and it's a surprise, but it comes at the height of like this like really emotionally cathartic thing, and then like it's the pouring rain, and like you're left to just be like, oh god, this is horrible. I don't think that like you're even like drowning in those feelings at the end of Anna and Libby's um, uh, lives. I think like because it comes at the hands of someone you trust. That just does yep. elevate it to a totally different if, level. It, it feels like a betrayal to us. Like, Michael, we know you. Like, why the hell did you right. do this? And that's built upon yes, nearly two seasons of getting to know this character. And so it's a really fun way to sort of, like, futz with the trust that we have in this character. Because, again, we don't know why he did what he did at this point. And so maybe that's a little bit less than The Red Wedding where... You know, I think we knew that there were reasons why those things had to happen. So that's, I think, the slight difference as well between those. Uh, Joanne Ross writes in, uh, I applaud the show and Harold Perrineau for how excellently they portrayed Michael's tortured state of mind. I cannot defend his actions, but Lost absolutely sells how he got to that place. In my head fiction, Walt's future trip back to the island will allow Michael to find peace. In Michael's flash sideways, I picture him taking a bullet for a pregnant Anna Lucia, and perhaps this action triggers the awakening for both parties so they may move on in their own version of the church. So is there like a second wave in the church of like these people will move down like, okay, uh, the rest of you, please head to the local rec center and you'll be able to gather. Uh, Libby, come on. Anna Lucia, well, come Libby's on. Libby's moved on uh, early, but Anna, Michael, Walt... Charlie, Faraday, uh, Miles. We, I don't think we do. We even see a flash sideways Lapidus. I don't think so. I guess Lapidus no, never I, dies. I, I, that's the thing. I, I've always believed that Frank Lapidus forever. lives forever. I think he's eternal. <laughs> he's. A, did you say eternal or a turtle? I think he's an eternal yeah. turtle. That's his, that's the sort of Faustian thing is that he will be forced to live out his days as a turtle should he not uh, die. Stefan Johnson writes, uh, I think most people forgave Michael for this. Are there any other characters he could have killed and still have been forgiven by the audience? And to that, I would say, what? did people forgive Michael for this? No, but 
I'm pretty sure people did not forgive Michael. I'm pretty sure people were annoyed with Michael with the Walt stuff. Uh, and they were pissed for killing off. And granted, again, Anna Lucy was not a likable character, but he killed Libby, who's associated with Hurley, the fan favorite character on the show at this point. And then he just straight up leaves. Uh, people were not jonesing for Michael to come back at this point. I, I think he was not very well forgiven. I think now that we look through things through the lens of anti-heroes that has really proliferated the scene of American television since Lost was at, was at its heyday, I think his actions are more justifiable. So I can see from a 2020 lens forgiving him, but from a 2006 lens, no, sir. Yeah, I think a lot of people were pretty mad, pretty mad. Uh, I loved Harold Perrineau, so I, I spent a lot of my time being like, I get it, I get it. Uh, I'll save those takes for, for as we push on, see if they still hold up. I need to, I need to go back and revisit three minutes and, and the finale as well. Um, Daniel Brennan writes in, where would Anna Lucia have fit in the show moving forward had she survived Two for the road. Um, what does the show look like if Anna doesn't give the gun to Michael here? If Anna makes it through two for the road alive, Mike? Well, so we know that obviously she was not part of Michael's crew. So at the first part of season three, she would be sort of on the beach. And I guess that would make her like, she would probably take up the leadership position, right? You would assume so? Um, after uh, Jack is gone? Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know how many people are falling in line behind Anna Lucia. I don't know. I mean, at this point, they're all sort of lost. The sky lit up purple. The hatch blew up. I think Anna Lucia could be the type of person. To, and that could be an interesting arc for her as well, right? To, like, become the leader of another set of people. And how does that influence the way she values things? I think she'd have a really interesting arc in season three when it comes to the others. Like, she might not shoot Ben in this moment. But you can imagine she is someone much like Sawyer in the Through the Looking Glass finale who is charged to take revenge against the others. Or at least be in an adamant searching of, like, where Cindy where are the kids? I would be interested to know if she does get taken to Dharmaville and sees what Cindy and the kids are doing and how they're hunky-dory. Like, how is she going to react to that? Um, Brendan Fitzpatrick wrote in and said, Kate should have known that Michael was lying because of the staff, right? Michael's story shouldn't make sense to Kate and her knowledge gained throughout the season. Why wouldn't she tell Jack immediately before they leave the hatch? This episode loses a tenth of a point for me because Kate should have said something before they went to go get the guns. Damn it, Kate, Libby, and Anna would still be alive if you just said something. You think that's true? I don't think that Jack is but always that- listening to what Kate has to say anyway. I mean, it's maybe Kate was just so, uh, I don't know, in a different place after the fact that she did tell Jack about the staff. And Jack was just so like, why did you not Why did you not reveal this to me sooner? That maybe she didn't want to bring up the point again. To that point, I would think the onus is not just on Kate. It's Jack as well. Jack just heard about the fake beards. Why didn't Jack yeah, bring it yeah, up? Yeah, he was ready. To, yeah, I think he was just ready to go. I think he was like, I, I'm, I just need to, I need to take care of some people. Uh, we've got some some stuff to take care of uh, from our SOS feedback, uh, some leftovers, including this from Michael's TV tray, uh, who writes in and says, after many years of thinking that Veruca Salt was demanding to be fed beans, <laughs> I found out that bean feast is a British term for a celebratory meal or party, so she's still spoiled, but maybe not as odd. Uh, Michael's TV tray continues, regarding the wonk of it all, Charlie with his golden ticket winds up with the factory after other candidates are disposed of just as Hurley with his lottery ticket winds up with the island. Shouldn't the smoke monster have sung an Oompa Loompa song as each candidate was eliminated? He didn't have time. He was too busy blowing up some Marines. Uh, you know, it could have lasted longer in the first couple seasons, but once they started scrapping characters one right after the other, you could only get small little snippets in there of yeah. music. I like that uh, uh, Charlie with the golden ticket and Hurley with the lottery ticket, though. Uh. But the question, that would have been like, 
if Jacob yelled at Hurley for like shirking some sort of some sort of rules. Hurley got sad, and then Jacob would go, Hurley, you've yeah. won. You passed my final test. He basically test. did, right? Like he keeps showing up to Hurley in ghost form and like being like, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, make sure you do this. This is sort of him like giving him like the preferential Wonka treatment. Well, so what's the what's the equivalent of Hurley's fizzy lifting drink moment where he like where they, where they need to be washed and, and sterilized, uh, uh, maybe blowing up the black rock? Or no, you know what I would say? I would say him leaving the island uh, is yeah, probably the, 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 uh, the fizzy lifting yeah. drink of Lost for Hurley. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, David Lipkin came up with some anagrams that could point to Asher Bloom, Mike's son, secretly being Baby Bernard. Uh, here, here are a few, <laughs> including O-Balm Rose, Rehab Looms, and just for fun, Ooh, Marbles. Oh, that's the new uh, Quan thing, right? Where Gion becomes a Marbles champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Also, uh, Rehab Looms. That was going to be another Charlie Pace episode. <laughs> through season three. Sad. Uh, we have a correction. Uh, this is something that I never knew, and I'm glad to know it now. This is from Bob Hasty, uh, who, who has recently started listening to the podcast, new to the podcast, and is not going to be listening to this episode for quite some time based on where he is as per his feedback email, um, but says that we need to be pronouncing uh, Michael Giacchino's name correctly we always say giacchino and it's giacchino okay so giacchino giacchino i did not know that uh so giacchino got it michael giacchino um this is why we love the hatchlings because like we learn something new sincerely they help us out um also in the music realm of course jim fells with his music analysis this week mike what have we learned uh, th- what have we learned? We have learned so much. Uh, so many music! Uh, coming from Anna Lucia, of course, our resident songstress, apparently, as she works, TSA. Ben finally gets a musical motif as he lunges after Anna Lucia, but it doesn't appear again until the, the series finale when the tree falls on him. So it's a, it's, a, it's a less used Ben Linus motif, but this is uh, the first one. You might have heard this in the beginning, in the intro clip, but as uh, Michael is talking about killing Ben, you hear, like, a very slow, very shifted version of credit where credit is due, a.k.a. the main loss theme. Of course, should have been an indicator that someone would be leaving our midst soon. It also plays in the scene when Christian offers for Anna Lucia to come with him, which again signals their departure. And as Michael explains his sort of half-truth story about what happened with the others, uh, there's a slow version of the theme from the pilot that plays as well. So a nice little connection back to the mystery of the island. And we talked before about the brilliant choice to not have any music. This might be one of the only um, musicless scenes in Lost history, deservedly so. All right, let's get into the into the 23 points uh, segment. Um, I've got two MVPs to bestow. You have three. Uh, I have three LVPs, and you have two. Why don't you get us kicked off, Mike? I'm going to give one to Anna Lucia here. Uh, I think that A, Michelle Rodriguez's performance, and specifically the layers that she shows to Anna Lucia that we didn't even see in Collision, I think are sublime. Particularly the scene of her in the airport calling her mom leading into the final scene. There is a quiet almost i wouldn't even call it serenity but there is a quietness to her voice that i think symbolizes her bringing her guard down and not being that attack dog that she has presented up to this point in lost i think it is so marked and such as a great closure for the character in general so 
like you said, even though she might make mistakes like giving the gun to Michael or like not waiting for Jack and the crew to come back, just the way they close up the character from both a performance and a writing perspective, I want to give massive kudos to. So I'm going to give one more point to Anna here on the way out. Yeah, on the way out. Uh, well, coming out with uh, an LVP point, uh, I may as well just tip that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your point away from Anna Lucia. I'm going to give Anna Lucia an wow, LVP point. really kicking her on the way down. <laughs> well, look, it's been a while since, uh, you know, I've given... Uh, I, I actually, you know, I've, I've made the exceptions, right, for the main characters when they die. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to give an LVP point to Boone. Um, but, like, Anna gives Michael the gun with which to kill her. You know, she makes the choice after coming to, like, the really good choice of, like, I shouldn't kill this guy. That's a bad thing to do. Oh, but Michael's willing to do it? Well, it's not so bad if I just give him the gun with which to do it. And then she gets killed for it. Like, yeah, you know, that kind of all tracks. So both in terms of the uh, I give an LVP point if you die and uh, on this one being, well, you really you really punched your own ticket here. But I second everything that you said about Anna Lucia. And I will also reiterate that I have loved her on the rewatch. I have adored Anna Lucia on the rewatch. Uh, I, I think that she she brought so much to the table um, over the course of this. And Michelle Rodriguez, especially uh, just as an actress, I, I thought that she did an, an unbelievable job on the show. And I think is uh, unfairly maligned. Uh, this character yeah. and was a really, really, really great podcasting, Anna Lucia. Um, so no disrespect towards the character. Uh, I've, I've, yeah, I've, the points speak for themselves. I Josh. know, but I, I, I really, I do want to reiterate. I, I, I have nothing but fondness in my heart for Anna Lucia at this point. So that's my LVP. I guess my MVP. I already spoiled uh, my first one. Thumbs up for for Jin Kwan. Gets a thumbs up from me. All right, so I'm going to give... I'm going to keep on the two-for-the-road train here for the eponymous, too. I'm going to give a point to Libby here. Uh, as I mentioned before, I, I like the care that she gives to Hurley. It's sort of a sympathy point for her being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Though, maybe I'll also give her a point because if we're going along with your time-traveling Dave marrying Libby theory from a couple episodes ago, she knew she had to be there. She knew she had to die. And so I give her all the kudos for that. That being said, she looks pretty surprised. <laughs> so I think, uh, the I'm a maybe 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 it's less of a Charlie yeah. thing from season three when she knows how it'll happen and more so like a, well I know I'm gonna die one of these right days, right so right. I might as well just sort of like come in with a carefree attitude yeah. if that's the case though Libby hears gunshots she really should not pursue them uh, like go the other way <laughs> if you hear the gunshots in the hatch leave run uh, but uh, I will not be uh, giving an LVP point to Libby because she's not dead yet. So I'll evaluate that next week. And... <laughs> yeah, just wait to bring down the guillotine <laughs> until next week. Uh, I will give an MVP point to Ben. I think Ben uh, does a great job with his reverse psychology in this episode. I think the way that he gets in Locke's head is really, really good. Um, the way that he, he gets Anna Lucia to not kill him. Uh, very, very strong as well. How he overpowers her. She also like, hits him pretty hard and he just like takes it. Um, I guess like, yeah, he succumbs to a, a blow from the crutch. Um, unless that was just him with more clown schooling. Uh, <laughs> who move over Buster <laughs> Keaton. Here, Here comes, comes Ben Linus. Linus. I'm going to give Ben Linus an MVP point. And I'm going to give an MVP point to the guy who was on the other end of the crutch. I'm, I'm going to give a point to Locke here. Look, maybe he slips up a bit by, you know, for not telling Jack in the moment that Anna Lucia was uh, possibly looking to take out some stuff on Ben after he choked her out. But I want to appreciate the fact that, first off, he does save Ada Lucia's life by, for a second, by knocking out Ben. 
And also, he makes peace with Jack here, which I think is a big moment for the characters that is, you know, it's going to be a state that they're going to exist in by absence for a good while at this point. And I feel like we have been we've been dumping on Locke a lot as of late because Ben just keeps getting in his head. So I want to I want to show him a little bit of love here when he does get one over. All right. So I gave my first of three LVP points to Anna Lucia for dying. Um let me give my uh, two remaining LVP points to someone who's long dead, but we see the body again in this episode, and I hate him so much. It's an excuse to dump further on Jason McCormick. Jason McCormick, the stone-cold corpse of Jason McCormick, uh, accruing two LVP points here. Last opportunity to do it, so I'm just going to take the shots while I got him. And he's still not, he's almost at the level yeah. of Charlie in season two, but he's not pretty quite. Low. I, think, I think that he is, uh, what, he's at six? Uh, yeah, Jason McCormick, a negative six. Not quite at Charlie's level, unfortunately. Yeah, but we can only strive to be. Uh, I'm going to give a point to Michael, an LVP point, because he shoots yeah, two fair. people. I mean, that's very fair. It's very fair. <laughs> yeah, he had his ways, but he also shot two people. And I'm going to give another point to Sawyer, who gets clowned <laughs> for like the fifth time in a row in an episode here where he gets completely schooled by Anna Lucia. And, and for the guy who claimed he had all the guns and had so much power over everybody, basically lost his guns over the course of an yeah, episode. No, I think that's totally fair, uh, especially the Michael one. He did kill people. Um, but again, like in the spe- I almost gave him an MVP point. Uh, in the spirit of like when I gave Ethan MVP points for like, yeah, you're a bad guy, but you're very efficient. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, I would say maybe we could we could acknowledge that in the future episodes, like the fact that he is going to recover at least a little bit next episode, and like you know be able to cover his tracks at least a little I bit. I do think Grant it was probably be- here is where that was going to happen. I think it's a bit of a vortex. I think it's a downward spiral for Michael moving forward. Uh, and I don't, in all the defenses possible of the character, I don't think undeserved that he will uh, he will spiral out here as we reach the the end of the season will he spiral out so far that he will best either wayne jason mccormick or charlie for lvp of the season he's got a lot of work to do if that is going to be the case i believe michael is at a negative one right now or no he's at a zero actually he's currently zeroed out for season two uh and charlie is bringing it up in the rear with negative seven uh, so a lot's got to go wrong for Michael to to hit there, or Charlie has to surge back up. I don't think Michael's going to be the season two LVP. Uh, would be would no, be I I don't think so. I I would not be surprised if Charlie gets thrown a couple of points, particularly when it comes to live together, die alone. Uh, so I would not be surprised if like Jason McCormick and Wayne end up being our bottom two LVPs for season so two. So I I want to spo- uh, spoil some suspense because I think I, I just want to cut to the chase and and talk about something that's 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 very compelling here. We do the four point two stars, uh, which is how we rank every episode of Lost. I give a score from zero to four point two. So does Mike. So does the audience. We average the audience score. Use that as a third data point. Average that with my score and Mike's score, and that gives us the down the hatch score. And uh, to spoil it. Uh, I gave it a 4.2 for two for the road uh, from me. Mike Bloom did the same. It's a 3.9 from the audience. And by a hair, by a smidge, because Man of Science, Man of Faith also got 4.2s from both you and I and a 3.9 from the audience as well. But I think it is it is just enough, and it's probably because of the amount of people who have contributed uh, rankings up to this point, that by uh, just just a hair... A 4.11 to a 4.10. Two for the road 
is currently the number one episode of season two of Lost on Down the Hatch. Man of Science, Man of Faith was king of the hill all season long, and then Two for the Road came along. Are we surprised? I am. I am. I, I think Two for the Road being top three uh, was, was a very easy prediction for me. But for it to, mm-hmm. to dethrone, even if this is only temporarily, and I can imagine it's temporary, um, for it to dethrone Man of Science, Man of Faith, for it to be a, above lockdown even... Um, it's 4.11 for Two for the Road, 4.10 for Man of Science, Man of Faith, and 4.08 for Lockdown. Those are our top three, and then our next closest is the 23rd Psalm with 3.99. Um, that is that is higher than I expected. It's higher than I expected, mm. but I, I think to, to put it in the stratosphere of the conversations of, like, what are the perfect episodes of Lost? Because there are some. There are many, in fact, I think. There are some episodes that just right. absolutely deserve, like, give it that full score. Two for the road absolutely belongs on that on that list. I agree, um, and and so for it to to have gotten those scores from you and I, um, no surprise based on the way that like we've come to appreciate Lost, the things that we tend to seize on in our conversations on these podcasts. Like to me, if if the long con was getting a four point one, if one of them was getting a four point one, there was no question that Two for the Road was going to get a four point two. Um, I agree. I was I was thinking about you know fitzing it up a little bit and being like, do I deduct points here? But no, for me, it brought. Humor. It brought character moments. It brought a, a fully rounded arc for this character. It brought pathos. It definitely brought emotion, in my opinion. It brought mythos building. Like this is an episode that I don't didn't really realize because it's so heavily talked about for its ending. You don't realize how much the parts of it outside of that are so well constructed as well. I mean, in my opinion, and maybe this is foreshadowing my thoughts on Left Together Die Alone. This might be the 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 highlight of season two, in my opinion, is this episode. Yeah, I you know I think three minutes is probably going to be like somewhere in the three range would be my guess. Uh, I think question mark has potential to be a four point two from us, um, and I think live together die alone will will hit that as well. It's a finale. Finales are always going to be a perfect score from us. I don't think that's a surprise. It's mm, really I interesting. I well, I talked about it on Jay and Jack that I don't. I'm not. I think live together die alone is my least yeah, favorite finale. Yeah, we, we both so. talked about that, and I agree. I think that it is uh, for me. It's like objectively, it's the weakest finale, but it's still a finale, and the finales are events. And I think uh, I don't know if we if we don't both. I, I'm sure that I'm going to give it a four point two. I will be very surprised if I don't. And if you don't, I will be very curious to know why. Uh, yeah, we'll see. So that that'll be interesting. But I, I think two for the road being at the top here is a delightful surprise to me. Uh, much of the way uh, that uh, this whole episode plays out. Maybe not a delightful surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, a, delight gri- is a grim a shock, a grim shock, but a delightful surprise to see two for the road here, and I don't think undeserved. I don't know that it will hang on to this top spot. May- it may even be a matter of like more people just need to send in their rankings and things are going to adjust. Uh, this is, as but we always say... But with your hearts, people. Yes. Don't be, don't be, you know, uh, don't We're, be stymied are, at all by, by the rankings. We we'll are, vote whatever the way you want to vote. We are reporting the news uh, as we do here uh two for the road is currently at the top spot and it's a flexible document and you could still get your rankings in if you have not done them yet you could change your rankings if you feel like you need to um but i think if only for this moment in time two for the road at the top of season two and in the conversation for for best episodes that we've encountered so far as a result mm. um yeah and we're getting closer and closer to that season two feedback show josh where i'm very excited to much like the tailies folded into 815 to see how season two folds into season one and see how some of these top tier episodes are going totally. to rank up against some of our favorites from season one. Totally. It's a big question mark, almost as big as question mark. The episode that we will be talking about next week, dropping in your should, feeds. Should we, um, uh, should we create an 
onomatopoeia from it, much like we did with Ooh and Found, should it be like, uh? <laughs> Is that Tim Allen? <laughs> uh, yeah, Tim Allen makes a brief appearance. He's actually the, he was originally cast for Richard Malkin, but he couldn't make it work. <laughs> Very strange. Uh, yeah, I don't, want, I don't need Tim Allen on my Lost. Uh, question mark. Huh. Uh, showing up on June 19th in your podcast. Yeah, you know, do you be like the Bobby Cannavale in, uh, in Mr. Robot? Like, hey, huh? Hey? Uh, hey. question mark. There we go. I think, I think we found it. Huh? Yeah, that's the episode coming up. Huh? Uh, it's coming up next week is, huh? Uh, get your feedback in by the morning of June 17th. You can send that down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet at postshowrecaps. You can tweet me at Round Howard. You can tweet Mike at a Mike Bloom type. At a Mike Bloom type and I at Round Howard. We're both recently on Crazy Hank TV talking through the looking glass you can check that out on on youtube we join uh jack of the jay and jack podcast who's been going through lost at his own clip over at crazy hank tv on youtube and by his own clip he doubles up on on episodes he doubles up on episodes so he is he is ahead of us by a full season uh and change now uh and we always join him for the season finale so we just talked about through the looking glass with him uh and it was a, a really really fun time i thought we had a really good time uh chewing on uh, you know, getting getting our own glimpse into the future, a flash forward uh, yeah. for ourselves. For like six months from now, yeah. I believe is probably around the time they're going to be talking about. We're looking. The I glass. think we're looking December. December is uh, when we will be at through the looking glass. The snow will be falling, much like uh, you know. I th- I guess Christmas is more associated with the constant, so it's not necessarily uh, linked with Penny in particular. But the very first time we see her in that capacity, yeah. So that's coming up uh, in a long time from now. Uh, what's happening? <laughs> let's let's plug our podcast for seven months what's, from now. Josh. What's hap- What's happening in the nearer future for you, Mike? Uh, Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> that is like uh the the my my personal Horcrux screaming out in pain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as as you stab through it with uh with the knife that Andalusia slid to you. Uh, yeah, covering. Season two, episode two of Survivor on the RHAP B&B, much like you did on the Wiggle Room doing your own wanding, uh, not unlike Anna Lucia did to Christian Shepard in the airport. We're both doing season four, episode three. Next week's doing a bit of our own time jumping. Outside of that, uh, Josh and I are also covering this season of Top Chef, which is rounding the corner, coming down to its final two episodes. And then outside of that, some other stuff. Here and there, I'm sure I'm going to be getting it back together with the Survivor Historians to be talking about uh, Survivor Borneo, which has recently celebrated its 20th anniversary. So it's a lot of looking into the past and looking forward simultaneously to the point where your eyes feel like they're crossed. All right, so we've got a lot going on. Uh, we've got the Everything is Super podcast here on Post Show Recaps as well. Kevin Mahadeo and I just talked about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We are on the edge of Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy's Edge. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, coming. different franchise. Well, same same mouse, same different mouse, franchise. different franchise. So that's coming up uh, in your podcast feeds next week, alongside huh? Uh, question mark <laughs> dropping on down the hatch next week. Going to be a very good time. Looking forward to it. Until then, everybody, take care. Be safe. Be good. Bye bye. Eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, forty-two, four, eight.